welcome to another exciting episode of Doofus and Galactus. Doofus carelessly tracks mud into mother's clean floor. Galactus always remembers to wipe his boots before consuming a planet. Doofus bosses his friends. Galactus politely addresses the doom foes before obliterating their planet. Goofus says, No way! If you want potato chips, go buy your own. Galactus always sends his tasty treats with a contempt before devouring the planet. Respetable público, lucharán dos de tres caídas sin límite de tiempo. En esta esquina, el santo cavernario. Y en esta otra, And on this floor, this is where Andy Warhol made his immortal classic, The Chelsea Girls. You know, Andy Warhol was originally a woman shoe illustrator who worked for Bonwitz, and then he painted some tomato soup cans, went on to fame and fortune and glory. Watch your step, a man here is trying to make repairs, I think, of a little wet paint. Bill's favorite food is Texan food, though. I was talking about that. You like that food? Well, I do like that not chili, the chicken fried steaks. No, like not, uh, what, not what chili, but sort of. I have one, yeah, no, we yeah, all have yeah. one. What is the chicken? What is, what is the chicken? And on the next floor, we're going to see the apartment where William Burroughs wrote Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch was quite a, uh, an important uh, seminal uh, writing. When the first time it came out, it was considered very, very scandalous. Today, a book like that is really sort of hardly raises a blush on the cheek of your aunt from Dubuque, as they'd say in the New Yorker. Can you tell me what a chicken fried steak actually is made out of? Well, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a thin slice of steak, um, breaded, breaded and fried very quickly. Why does it taste like mush? Well, it depends on uh, what they start with, how it tastes. Oh, right. I, uh, what I particularly like is the uh, biscuits and gravy. Right. Yeah, I never had a chicken fried steak. That sounds like a great We can go to the Alamo Cafe anytime you want. Really? Yeah, that's actually a steak. Yeah, we like all these guys. It's not really a steak. It's not a tenderized steak. Oh, really? They give you a big chicken fried steak and a big thing of mashed potatoes and a big thing of some kind of beans or peas. Oh, that's so really Slop it up and spoon it inside. Well, mashed potatoes and beans are my favorite. But you can eat those steaks, whether it's a bread or not. So we're right in the middle of dinner now. It's pretty here is pretty good. Andy Warhol is wearing a pair of headphones, which he brought with him and hasn't taken off since he sat down. William Burroughs is looking fairly relaxed. He's wearing a beautiful pearl gray suit, and Warhol is telling him that he is the best dressed man in New York, and he admires his look more than anyone else's. Burroughs is slightly bemused, perhaps, by this kind of 
Sheik Approach, has given Warhol a copy of his new book, Cities of the Red Knight, a proof copy. What? Can you do a drawing? Oh, yes, sure. And it's just drawn, signed in it, and drawn a painting. Warhol is telling Burroughs that he should be a painter. Ayer en la pelea por el trofeo de Televisa de Pulsquerétaro con dos grandes del Pancracio, el hijo del Santo y Ludemundi. Este segundo que tuvo. This is Stan Lee speaking. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, lady? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby. By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw a bald headed. Welcome to another episode of the Bullpen Bulletins Podcast, a celebration of all things Marvel. I'm Vince B. I am no longer a waterlogged David Price. And with us tonight, we have a man who has embellished the likes of Rick Leonardi, uh, Val Simic, and others, inker extraordinaire Chad Hunt, uh, who goes by Thunderhead Jones on the forum, and don't ask him about his brother Mike. So, Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and the other voice you may or may not have heard before. He's uh, one of the hosts of an obscure, seldom listened to, you know, podcast uh, around comics. He's uh, what's his name? Sam Brian Salazar. Brian. Sam. Oh, Brian Salazar. Uh, uh shit. <laughs> Seattle Mariners just went up three to one against my White Sox. Sorry, it's a Richie, Richie Sexton just hit a three-run home run. That son of a bitch. That's uh, an intro right there, baby. Also, <laughs> sorry about that. Also known as Sal to his friends, and we call him Mr. Salazar. God, I love this guy. <laughs> hey guys, what's happening? This episode we have two interviews. The first from Mr. Fred Van Lenty. 
who we've heard from before, but Miguel caught up with him recently for an update on what he's doing. And then you'll hear Miguel talk to Andrea DeVito from Annihilation and other things. So in, it will be popping up now and then, but uh, those two interviews will be uh, on their way very soon. We got a packed house tonight. This is cool. Yeah, it's over. It's very crowded. No double dipping. I'm used to at least four. I'm at least a foursome. I, hey. I can't work without at least a foursome. And yeah, you got Chris back, which men. is cool. Yeah, I know. I know. That's great. <laughs> His Four presence in the same room. Don't mention double dipping, please. <laughs> double dipping or prophylactics. Yeah, once is enough. You know, <laughs> it, trying to get through those episodes without Chris, it was murder. It was murder. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate. I appreciate that, Vince. You know, I worked really hard. I, I hope to... he hope he never gets married again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you know, I've said it before. You guys have the best comic-related. No, screw that. You guys have the best podcast the out best there. Best DC-related podcast. No, oh, there. right oh, next geez. to Raging Bullets. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we've been a little DC-centric. No, I appreciate the uh, the kind words, though. It's you know, I'll tell you one thing. We have uh, a really great chemistry between me and Chris and Tom. And when one it of us shows. is in there, yeah, it really does. And, you're, those two shows were brutal. I hated every second of it. I was miserable and crabby and didn't enjoy it whatsoever. Um, wow! But Hillary, Hillary was great, and it was you know Mike was. Great. I mean, it was it was a good. Those two episodes were were still. I mean, were still good. They were still. It was still around comics. You could tell you had you and Tom there, and I mean everything was fine. So what you're saying um, is Chris is the MVP, is what he's saying. Chris is our rudder. He's really the straw. <laughs> no, Chris is our rudder. Chris is, Chris keeps us on track, and I'm not uh, I'm not built for that kind of thing. I, uh, uh. You know, it turned out okay with Hill uh, and Mike. That that ended up being really good stuff between the two of them talking about you know working as a freelancer. I thought it turned out really well, but yeah. uh, it was it was not enjoyable for me just because um, being so conscious of trying to run the show, I couldn't really be myself. And uh, Chris makes it look easy, so. I heard weeping in the background, so that was you. <laughs> that was, yeah, at some yeah. point. <laughs> well, let's turn the tables and talk to Chad for a couple minutes. Chad, no. Yeah, Chad has a couple projects he's oh, working I agree. on right now. No, let's keep talking about me. <laughs> I, I like it much better. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Chad is currently uh, working on? Uh, Cisco Kid versus Wyatt Earp for Moonstone uh, Comics. Love over. those Western comics. God, I love them. Uh, it's over Eric J. Eight, uh, pencils. Oh, one of my favorite. Got did uh, Rex Mundy, and, and um, working on um, the second half of the book right now, and um, it's looking really good, looking really sharp. I think it's some of his best work. Cool. And you said that's coming out from Moonstone. Yeah. Excellent. So keep an eye out on it. It's <laughs> actually part of a two, a two book thing. Um, I think Chuck Dixon and Ricardo Villagran are doing one. And um, one showing the point of view of Cisco, one show, and this one shows the point of view of uh, of Wyatt Earp. So. Oh, that's cool. I like when they do stuff like that. Kind of yeah. like a, a Western pulp fiction where you get a bunch of different threads dovetailing into the same kind of narrative. That's cool. Who side are you on? Cisco's or Wyatt? <laughs> I don't know. As long as people are shooting the hell out of each other, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need more Western comics. I mean, aside from Loveless, you know, what else is? Oh, uh, Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger, there's the Weird Western, is it Weird Western Tales? That little indie yeah, book that comes I out? I don't know if that's uh, coming out anymore, though. I know is it, it was for a while. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen one in a little while. 
Desperados comes out every once in a while. Oh, I love Desperados. That's a great yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. That that puts a little weird spin on it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. <laughs> Of indies, this week. Well, I say this week because technically, this, this is a long episode in the make. Yeah, we we had a lot of problems getting this one out. David had water problems in his basement. Uh, they, New York got what seven inches of rain, and I think it all pretty much made its way to my basement. Yeah, a few weekends ago, we had a nor'easter, and um, and we we really took took quite a break. My basement took. I mean, there, there's no. Long-lasting damage, but I mean, it was it was a bitch and a half getting all the water out of there. Yeah, and well, that's I, because uh, New York is the <laughs> haven of sin on the planet. Oh, is that right? God oh. is trying to wash you away. It's like all the water collects in the ass well, crack. We have we have we have two. We have <laughs> You're the colostomy bag. Adults. I was looking for an ark. <laughs> You're the colostomy yeah, bag of. The United States. I, you know, I know. I never told you guys this story. I should tell it because it has something to do with a colostomy bag. When do you oh, get God. the? No, when do you get the chance to talk about a colostomy bag? I worked at comic book podcast. Yeah, I worked at Burger King for twelve years, twelve long years during during part of my high school and then into college and then you know after I got my degree, I worked there on the weekends. But anyway, that doesn't make that doesn't matter. But early in my little tenure there, I did cleanup on the weekends, which was like 12 a.m. to 6 in the morning. And uh, I have to clean the rent- the restrooms when I work there. So I pulled the garbage cans out, and I saw this thing in the garbage can. And there's this, this big freaking plastic bag, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm it's still in high school. I didn't know what the hell the thing was. And, and so I said to this, this guy I worked with who, who cleaned the kitchen, I said, what the hell is this? And he goes, oh, man, we need that. Get, take that out of there. And I said, okay. He goes, oh, it looks kind of dirty. Why don't you hose it out? And so, you know, I didn't know. So I went in the back, got the high-powered hose, <laughs> put the sucker in the bag, and I'll tell you, I was covered head to toe in somebody else's shit. And he just, oh. <laughs> he he just stood there and like, I think he he laughed so hard he almost threw up. I mean, I would too. 
<laughs> so and then you went right back to making burgers. Didn't I you? mean, it's all about karma. No, and yeah. to make to make it worse, when I when I you know turned the water on, the sucker flew off, you know, because of the high pressure water, and it careened across the kitchen and hit the side of and the. He didn't even do it outside. He did it in the. No, kitchen. I did it in the kitchen. Yeah, oh, and 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 it bounced off the tile floor and it hit the side of the freezers, you know, where they keep all the burgers and shit. So picture this stainless. Yes, stainless steel wall, beautifully shined stainless steel wall, now coated with like big splatter of crap on the side. It was awesome. I'll never forget it. But yeah, so that's my colostomy oh, bag story. Good God. <laughs> There's corn in my hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, like we said, this, this episode has been in the works for a while. And, and it's apparently going to be many people's last. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I pride myself on honesty. I did not feel like reading any Marvel books for the past, say, week, two weeks. I just wasn't in the mood. You know, it's like McDonald's. You pull up to the drive-through, everything on the menu looks good, and it's all basically prepared the same way. But I wasn't in the mood to eat at McDonald's or read Marvel, so I got caught up on a couple of uh, DC titles. Yeah, uh, well, not really. They're Vertigo, so I, I can get out of it with that. <laughs> DMZ Exterminators, and I finally am honing in on the end of Death Note, which is is cool. But I just didn't feel like reading Marvel. It happens, even though we are a Marvel podcast. Happens to me every week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, no, you're not. Uh, no, not really. no. I, you know, it's funny. I uh, I went back through my order lists of stuff for the last few months. Of what I've been ordering, and I've cut down on my orders a lot, trying to to move towards more trades and less uh, floppies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> no, my, it's it's about. I'd say it's like. All right. Well, anyway, what I was trying to say before, so rudely interrupted by Skype. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember. Oh well, as I'm moving away from single issue monthly periodical comic books and more towards trade paperbacks and hardcover editions. Uh, I've been cutting down a lot of books, but, um, but I, I still, I mean, I'm still pretty much like, you know, 30, 30, 30 when it comes to mainstream Marvel, DC, indie, maybe yeah. a little bit more indie, maybe. If I, if, if I can ask you, Sal, what is the, what's causing you to move towards trades or collected editions? Is it, is it the money? Is it the fact <clears throat> that you basically have been, I mean, I, I tend to buy, I tend to buy single issues. I, I, I buy comics in, in, Month to month, that's the way I've, I've always bought them. Sure. I buy, I buy collected editions if the mood strikes me, or if, like in this case for Planet Hulk, because I wasn't reading it as it was ongoing. But I also find myself, like I, I this past weekend, I read all seven issues of Casanova. I could have also read the trade. So, I mean, is it just the fact that that's your reading habits? Is just you tend to um, wait? Or? There's a couple, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different reasons one i mean i really really love hardcover editions of books okay um i've i've fallen in love with the absolute editions and the omnibus editions and uh and any hardcover pretty much and i've i mean it's to the point where it, it was i was buying the single issues and then sometimes getting the trade and then eventually buying the you know hardcover when it came on so i'd have three versions of it and it just got to the point where you know, I I had to make a decision because it was ridiculous that I was doing that, 
And part of the other reason, I'm just sick of fucking having boxes of comics all over my house. <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't have the room for them anymore. I, I don't... At this point in my life, I could care less what a comic may or may not be worth uh, down the road. You know, I don't care if it's a rare edition, a variant, whatever cover thing. I don't care if it's worth $20 or $50 or $100 or whatever it may be worth later on. I don't want to hold on to it anymore. I don't want to bag and board my comics. I don't want to, you know, just have... I, I love my bookshelf that's full of trades and hardcovers. I hate my boxes and boxes of comics all over my house that I don't have room for. And uh, it's just, it, you know, it's just gotten to the point where I can't, uh, I can't do both. I feel the same way. It's not like when you were kids and all your buddies would come over and you pull a box of comics and go, look what I have, look what I have. Nobody cares when you get older. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just I mean, true. Yeah. You know, so. It's You're just right. my wife. Oh. Yeah, your wife. <laughs> you try that one time, buddy. Hey, look at this. I got a spot. Yeah, whatever. I wiped my ass with number two issue last week. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, it's just like, when are you so, going to get rid of these? Yeah. You know, I feel the same way, and I think... A lot of times, uh, you know, I'm getting up there in age. I'm 42. I can't remember what happened in Fantastic Four last month, at least not the finer points of it. And when I have a, a trade, that's all the, the homework is done for me because I can read a consecutive run of issues in, in one sitting. I don't yeah. have to, you know, right. leaf through the, the one that came out last month just to see what happened here. Like, oh, shit, I didn't remember that, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, and Sal, like Sal said, they look really nice on a, on a shelf. And I can revisit these books without having to dig through 200 comic boxes to find the stupid issue that I, I you know, you can't. You, and there's always one issue you can't seem to find. You know you have it, but it's like hiding in a box somewhere. So it, books just make more sense to me. But. Then again, if we didn't buy the monthlies, you may not have the the collected edition. So it's kind of it, it's well, risky in in some senses. Yeah, there's way. I mean, there's a lot of books that I. I mean, not a lot of them, but there's still books that I buy the single issues of just because of that particular mm -hmm. thing. Or in, in some cases, there's books that I just can't not get. Like I can't stop myself from buying a Hellboy single uh, <laughs> when it comes out. I I can't wait. You know, right. I mean, it's it's just too for me. I can't stop it, and I'll go back and probably buy the trade. And and if they ever re you know release like hardcover editions of Hellboy, I'm all over it. And, and I look at it, you know, certainly a lot more uh, independent books or uh, stuff that just doesn't sell huge numbers. I'm less likely to uh, to wait on because, like I said, you may not uh, may not be around. You know, Criminal, I'm not going to wait on because you know, I mean. It may not be around exterminators. I don't wait on, and even books like Daredevil and Cap. I mean, Daredevil, I don't wait on because I have a, a run of that since like before Frank Miller. So I just can't stop myself from buying that book in particular. But there's a lot of stuff that it's like I don't care. I don't need to read it now. I don't need to know exactly. You know, I I know what's going on in books anyway because I have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. You know. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. But you made a really good point, too, is that I like reading six issues at a time or four issues at a time or, you know, a right. chunk of story at a time. I'm the same way. I, you know, I, I can't remember what happened last month. And I, and I like the uh, recap pages that Marvel does, but even that, you, you don't get the same effect of reading the whole thing in one big chunk. And, and a lot of times, you know, I know people complain about writing for the trade. 
I like writing for the trade personally. I like you know longer stories. I like development in a story. I like something that happens in issue you know, 25, that it comes back in issue 35, maybe, or, you know, in the case of, uh, like, a book like Invincible, you know, you have huge gaps in between small events that relate to one another, and you may not even catch that if you're reading it month to month, but if you're reading it in a trade or in a big hardcover edition, it, it sticks out a little better. And like you said, there's just some books you can't wait for. Yeah. I, th- there's no way in hell I could go a month without reading Godland, but... I could sit back and wait for a trade of Friendly Neighborhood, especially the way it's been lately. When well, Sal and I can read the trade of Godland. Right. You can get caught up and then mark my words. You read that trade and you're going to be buying it monthly. It's that good. Creative organism designate Fred Begin. So I'm here with Mr. Fred Van Lenny again. And he he has agreed to um, give us an update on what's been happening at Marvel. And the last time he was here, we covered uh, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, uh, both uh, adventure titles. And, uh, and now um, he has started the new one, uh, Marvel Adventures Iron Man. So I'm thinking... Is Tony addicted to pinball, or did you change your mind since your last interview with the bullpen? Well, you know, my attitude about this is that we just can't show any drinking in the actual pages of Marvel Adventures. So, for all we know, he's drunk all the time. Ah, yeah, subtle. I actually see him drinking on camera, as they say. All right, because I thought that you could use the... um, the the very obvious choice, which would be, uh, since it's it's happening in New York and Marvel likes to you know appear as realistic as possible, you can just use. Isn't the official drink of New York Snapple? <laughs> uh, well, it was at one point. I I'm not sure anymore. But uh, yeah, he could be. It's true. He could be addicted to diet raspberry iced tea. <laughs> all right. That's all. That's always a possibility. Okay. But, uh, in general, we're sort of staying away from the addiction side of Tony Stark's personality. All right. So apart from that, how is um, this Tony compared uh, compared to the Tony some of us love and some of us now love to hate? <laughs> uh, well, um, the I mean, I guess the obvious difference is that the Iron Man in Iron Man Adventures pretty much exists in his own universe. You know, each each individual Marvel Adventures book. Basically, you know, Spider-Man fights Spider-Man villains, and you don't really reference the other characters. The Fantastic Four fight Fantastic Four villains who pretty much exist in their own universe. It's sort of, sort of, sort of the same thing here, uh, in that Iron Man is a... Uh, uh, he sort of, he doesn't live in the Marvel Universe so much as he lives in the Iron Man-verse, you know. All right. Uh, and we, we know he's appearing in Marvel Avengers, or excuse me, Marvel Adventures Avengers, but... Hard to say fast, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know we don't. The, you know, that's I'm not going to go so far as to say that's a different Iron Man in Marvel Adventures Avengers. But I guess my point is, is if you're one of those fans that really loves continuity, Marvel Adventures might not be for you because we don't. Not only are there no is there no continuity between the different titles, I wouldn't say there's no continuity in the individual issues, but because each story is self-contained, there's no to be continues. There's no subplots that you know 
continue over from issue to issue. There's no arcs. Each story is its own sort of self-contained, um, solely sort of wholly satisfying reading experience. But uh, to answer your, your original question, more in the spirit of I think of what you meant, um, our, our, the other challenge with doing Marvel Adventures is that, is that you are not allowed to show guns, no guns of any kind in, in Marvel Adventures. So since Tony is traditionally portrayed as someone who ma manufactures weaponry, that had to be completely changed. So when they went out and they solicited pitches from me and some of the other writers, uh, apparently, uh, a lot of people had a real challenge uh, somehow demilitarizing Tony Stark. Okay. So Stark International and Stark Tony Stark in this version of Iron Man uh, is more like General Electric or like Apple. Tony Stark is more like Steve Jobs. He's he's one of these uh, super uh, hip, cool you know executives that's always on the edge of you know cutting edge technology, and uh, he's just beloved by millions. But he's really kind of a, for lack of a better word, he's a busybody. He's the kind of guy who wants it all, like everything. He wants to be a billionaire. He wants to be an inventor, but he also wants to sort of help people viscerally. And um, the conceit here is that uh, he can't really go out and run around being a superhero uh, without getting in trouble from his board of advisors, his board of executives, who's like, you know, who are, who are his shareholders who would be like, you know, what are you doing? You could break your neck at any time, in which case our stock price would drop by three quarters. So he needs to invent this uh, Iron Man persona. Okay. And the reason he has to invent the Iron Man persona is actually laid out pretty specifically in uh, Marvel Adventures Iron Man number one, which is the origin of Iron Man, which is very similar. I think people will see it as very similar to uh, the original Iron Man origin in Tales of Suspense. I guess it was 39 was when Iron Man first appeared. So it's very similar to that, but, you know, obviously there's no Vietnam, there's no guns, no, you know, uh, no, no militarized stuff, but... Um, I find that, that funny, was... because you, you still have the armor, and um, whatever weapons the armor has. Sure, yes. I just find that funny because if if there are so um, if if there can't be any guns or um, any weapons, you still have the armor. Well, it's the old you know it's the old uh, attitude of you can't do anything that kids could emulate. Mm -hmm. So the villains have you know laser blasters you know and stuff like that. There are you know giant monsters you know, threatening the city. So it's it's not like, I, I see what you're saying, and it's something that tripped me up initially as well, like, you know, if there's nothing to shoot at him with, what does he need armor for? He should run around in a Speedo, you know, and with a wet noodle and beat up bank robbers. But uh, uh, no, the armor is still useful. <laughs> and it does have all sorts of, one of the, one of the great things about the series is we are definitely emphasizing the sort of James Bond gadget Ah, uh, okay. Aspect of Iron Man. I mean, there's a new Tony Stark inventions in every issue, and they're not all crazy super science. I mean, a lot of research has gone into some of the stuff. Longtime techno heads will recognize things like suborbital space planes and okay. solar power satellites beaming uh, energy down to Earth in the form of microwaves. Stuff that's all on the drawing board and been conceptualized, but doesn't exist yet, but does now in Marvel Adventures Iron Man all right. through the magic of comic books. So. So there's no killing, and that's what you're saying. Right. There's no killing. There's no shooting anyone. Right. 
All right. Um, and you're working with uh, Kurdairo on it, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's really, really good. How? But how is working with Cordero? Oh, it's terrific. You know, he's really excellent. Um, his pencils, he does great action and great technology. And uh, he is uh, abetted by uh, Scott Koblish, who's a terrific uh, inker out on the West Coast. And they, they really make a perfect team. And some of the colored artists now coming in from the first issue. That's really, really exciting. All right. You see it, you see it all come together. And it's uh, the first issue is this sort of epic James Bond-esque kind of origin with AIM and Professor Yinsen and, and early uh, Iron Man armor and where the metal, the armor comes from, you know, uh, where the, pardon me, the, we get to see the, the metal, the origin of the metal which makes up the armor that the armor is made out of. So and they're doing a great job with it. So who, who can you tell us? Who who will be making appearances? Who can we expect to see? Well, um, I mentioned that there are two main cast members who are Rhodey and Pepper Potts, and so far they've appeared in every issue. Uh, in the first four issues, we have AIM, um, the Mandarin, of course, that's kind of mandatory. You get the Mandarin in there, and that, that's, that's number two, and that came out really well. Uh, Spymaster, Justin Hammer. Uh, and in the third issue, a uh, thing is I'm really proud of is I actually made the Plant Man a badass. So we have a badass nice. Plant Man. So it's a a nature versus technology battle that uh, came out quite well. And uh, I guess I should point out that I believe Iron Man number one ships May second, but then on Saturday on Free Comic Book Day. Uh, Phil Jimenez and Dan Slaughter doing their Spider-Man comic, but there's another Marvel free comic book day comic, Marvel Adventures 3 and 1, and Iron Man by me, James, and Scott is the lead story in that, and that is an appear- that features uh, Titanium Man. Nice. So you're also doing uh, Spider-Man Family in the same issue with Paul Tobin. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, um, Nate Cosby, uh, our able editor, has put together this great sort of economical, oversized Spider-Man package, and um, I've done a couple of the backstories in there. They have like a couple Spider-Man, like old Spider-Man reprints. Um, they have uh, reprints of the old manga Spider-Man, which they're calling Spider-Man J, which is totally insane and a lot of fun, and. Uh, and there's a lead story, and there's a 10-page backup. And uh, in Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man Family number 3, I do the backup with uh, Leonard Kirk. And Len Kirk and I did an arc of a comic called Amazing Fantasy a couple of years back. That was my first Marvel work mm-hmm. in which we introduced the new Scorpion. That's right. And the uh, backup in Spider-Man Family number 3 features the new Scorpion fighting the old Scorpion for rights to the name. Of course, the old Scorpion, Matt Gargan, is now Venom. That's right. So it's new Scorpion versus Venom, and uh, that was a lot of fun, and it was great to work with Len again. It was a great treat to do Amazing Fantasy with him, and I really enjoyed Ages of Atlas, the series he did with Jeff Parker, and which had a couple of the Scorpion backup characters appear in, so that was a lot of fun. And it's cool because we're doing a lot more Scorpion stuff because 
Scorpion uh, features somewhat prominently in World War Hulk. Ah, uh, so nice. So on the same month that Spider-Man Family Number 3 comes out, uh, this is a Scorpion backup series that starts in Heroes for Hire that ties directly into World War Hulk. So that's also written by me, and that starts also in June. Very nice. So if you're a new Scorpion fan, my friend, the wait is over. She has returned okay. to the Marvel Universe. And um, last time you talked to Vince, he was uh, very excited about Modox 11. Makes two of us. Yes. So, what can you tell us about it right now? Uh, Modox 11 is definitely coming out in July. Okay. So it's very exciting, and uh, it's currently slated to be a five-issue miniseries, but I know uh, Joe has said there will be more if, you know, demand warrants it. So all you listeners out there, <laughs> be sure to pre-order Super Real Team of Modox 11 number one, soliciting for July. Uh, with a great cover by Eric Powell, uh, the goons Eric Powell, and uh, awesome artwork by Black Panther's current artist, Francis Portella. And what, as the title would imply, uh, Modox 11 is about, uh, is a heist. It's a super crime heist with uh, Modoc having gathered together this kind of eclectic group of down-on-their-luck supervillains to go out and pull one last heist. Except this being the Marvel Universe, they're not breaking into a bank. They are breaking into the impenetrable fortress of this uh, team of time-traveling cartographers from the end of time called the Infinicide. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's not, you know, they don't need safecrackers necessarily. They need people who can teleport and, you know people who can turn into lasers and things like that. Nice. So it's none of this, you know, no, no cat burglar stuff going on here. We're way beyond that. So if, um, if sales you warrant it, um, you're ready to make it bigger? You bet, Modox 12. <laughs> Waiting in the wings. Uh, very nice. All right, and is that all from Mr. Van Lanny at Marvel? Uh, well, uh, I'm still the continuing writer on Marvel Metro's Fantastic Four, and I'm doing a Power Pack uh, Fantastic Four miniseries that will be coming out later in the year. Oh, nice. And the very able studio, the Japanese studio, Giharu, it's known for their Power Pack work, is, is, is providing the art for that as well. So, Is, is he the one All... that also works with uh, Mark Sumerak? Yes. Yep. Nice, very nice. Mark Mark's uh, taking five on this one, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm helping out. Okay. So lots of lots of uh, power pack action with Franklin Richards and Doctor Doom, and that's a lot of fun. I love I love both those characters, so it's it's a lot of fun to write. You can you know? plug your heart out. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we covered action philosophers in the other show. That's right. Um. No, we're good for now. I don't want to. We don't want to overburden the people too much. <laughs> yeah, we don't want. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to overexpose. Yeah, yeah. You, we want them to check out other titles too. I'm sure. Exactly. Yes. I want them to spend all their money on my books. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, thank you. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Mike. And um, 
if uh, after you pre-order everything you have to pre-order from Mr. Fred Valenti, just um, <laughs> go go buy Action Philosophers too. Exactly. That's right. And swing by uh, my website www.fredvalenti.com, and all of the news about me and all of my current titles are always on that site all the time. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm waiting for the hardcover. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it, uh, how's this for a uh, typical fanboy? I have all the issues, and I'm still ordering the hardcover. Well, I actually did, did buy the first trade and haven't read it yet. It's sitting on my shelf with about 40 others that I haven't read yet. Uh, that's what happens I, when you're a professional. Yeah. <laughs> professional what? <laughs> Asshole. Uh, I have a degree. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, I just can't buy everything, and I can't. I mean, I don't have time to read. I get my books uh, mostly on like Thursday, and I have to have them read by Friday at seven thirty because we're doing a show, and I got to do a top of the stack pick. So you know, it's like if I have a huge stack of books, there's sometimes I just got to prioritize, and it's like, okay, I know this isn't going to be a top of the stack, or I know I'm not going to, you know, just fall in love with this book, maybe. But I, I know this one, you know, has a good chance that I'm really going to like it, or, or, you know, or this is a smaller indie kind of book, and and I'm more interested in reading that this week, and then I have to go back and try and catch up over the weekend. But that's even with a limited amount of uh, of books that I buy, and and then, you know, there's always the occasional stuff that people send me, so it's like crazy. I yeah. can't. I don't have time. We don't get anything. Uh, Chad, <laughs> you don't kiss enough ass. I think <laughs> is what it is. Chad, what's your split? DC, Marvel, indie? Um, sort of a well, mostly Marvel. Um, I used to read a lot of DC books, but because uh, I've always been a big Superman fan, but but it's hard for me, uh, especially with Superman, to follow a monthly book. I do better reading Superman as. Uh, like if they come out with a graphic novel or a miniseries or, or something like that, I have for some reason I have a big problem following it, yeah. and uh, it's usually because, um, I don't know. I still feel like all the books are intertwined. Action, Superman. There's all too many things going on. You know, it's like Spider-Man. Yeah. There's so many titles. I can't. I'm as I'm getting older. I can't remember. The la- my last bowel movement, you know. Right. Much less, uh, <laughs> my family remembers my last bowel movement, but <laughs> you leave the door open. <laughs> but and and to make matters worse, DC's trade program is just pathetic. It yeah, it's, it is. it's really it's bad. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of have to buy Superman if I want to read it because they don't, you know, come out with too many trade paperbacks. But the Marvel stuff, I'm 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 kind of like you guys. I, if I there's something I can't live without, I'll buy. The singles uh, like Hulk, uh, I, I gotta buy Hulk. I have to buy Fantastic Four. Yep. Sing, you know, every issue. Even I don't care if they come out with the trades or not. I always buy the single issues of Fantastic Four, um, and I still buy the trades. So I'm I'm an idiot. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, very few indie comics. Um, I do get. Well, it's not an indie comic, but I, I do get Godland. Um, yeah. Uh, Conan, I love Conan. Yeah, Conan's great. Conan. Um, stuff like that that I that I, I I absolutely have to buy every month. I have to buy um, BPRD um, stuff like that that I yeah. have to buy. 
Yeah, we um, all we all have these goofy little habits. Like yeah. I'm I'm with you. I'd buy Fantastic Four if they got like say Matt Feasel, the guy that did Cynical Man. Yeah. <laughs> if, if if he drew Fantastic Four, I would buy it. If yeah. if they got a guy who just they had a rubber stamp for Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny, and they just put rubber stamps all over the same page, I would I would still yeah. buy Fantastic Four. It's Not the just, same way. There's just something about the the title. I have to have it. But yeah, it's it's difficult to do. Uh, thank God we have a lot of different options these days, which is is cool. And uh, but like uh, Brian, I'm going trades. I have to. It's just a matter of space, like mm-hmm. he said, and just it's the way I prefer to read them. So let's. Well, it's, uh, easier to, it's easier to remember the story if you read it all in one shot. Definitely, for me it is anyway. Um, yeah, I, like you said, just, you get the finer points. I remember the finer points more if I read in a trade than I do a monthly uh, floppy. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 see, I, I, I remember. See, I just it was, it was the way I. <laughs> I was just. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> Get over it. You know, tell, show me on the doll where the floppy touched you. Oh, there you go. That's what I needed to hear. <laughs> <sighs> when it comes to trades, there are certain. To me, it's That's just probably been said in a courtroom too. By the way, that was gold. Yes, <laughs> that... floppy. Floppy know, the clown. I, I think we're gonna Uncle floppy touch me. We're gonna ditch the opening theme song, and we're just gonna have "Show Me on the Doll Where the Floppy Touched You," <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll go "Wham." <laughs> the when it, when it comes to to me, I just I can't get out of the mentality that that a trade is is Evil. a reprint. Well, not, not I don't want to say evil because I have trades. I mean, I have trades of, of stories that I that I didn't get a chance to read. I have I have you know the Dick Fury Agent of Shield trade by Steranko. There was no way in hell I was going to get the singles of that. You know, did you say spirit? Did you say Dick Fury? I said Nick Fury. Furious Dick. Hey, you know, hey, maybe Dick is furious, but I have. I'm getting the Mine hardcovers. <laughs> of course, it is. I'm, I'm getting the hardcovers of Runaways because it does look nice, and it's the only way I'm reading Runaways. I just, to me though, you so you're still stuck a bit in that collector mentality. Yeah, the collector. I don't, but no, I don't. I don't want to say it's. It is. You can. I, no, you admit it. It's hi. My name is David, and I'm a collector. No, uh, no. I'm a. I'm a reader first. I. I read. Well, no, obviously. Issues. I, I mean, I'm, me. not, I, I, I'm not. I, I gave up years ago that thinking that my comics were going to get me through college or make a down payment on my house. But I, I see where you're going. I, I understand what you're saying, and, and to a degree, okay, fine. I guess I can say I'm a collector. I, I like the fact that I have, that I have, I have issues. I have of relapses. Mm-hmm. I have flashes of relapse going. You know, back in the in the, the collector mentality. Every once in a while, it's like, uh, you know, I'll see like. You can't help it when you go to a convention and you're like, oh, yeah, shit, that yeah, issue yeah. Green Lantern with yeah, Speedy on the cover as a heroin addict. It's like, wow, that's seventy <laughs> bucks. It's like, <laughs> it's like I have that issue. Okay, cool. You know, and it's like, oh, well, that means I have seventy bucks at home. And it's, I. But even I, on new stuff, I, I sometimes like will see, like, I'll pick up something that I know I, I won't like, but it's like a hot book or something, <laughs> and I just can't stop myself because it's like I gotta have it. But then I'll read it and it'll suck, and uh, and that'll remind <laughs> me why. Motherfucker. I don't, I don't uh, do that anymore. At least not very often. But I think we, we just, I think that's what makes up comic fans to a large degree is, is that, for whatever reason, almost OCD like have to have mentality of. Uh, and and for those that have have been able to you know wean themselves off of it, like Vince said, you know that that there's a version of it out there 
for everybody. I I was not thrilled with the new Avengers Volume One Breakout because of the fact that when Finch was drawing the comic book and based on the fact that during you know that monthly issue was going to have an ad and he had to do a double page spread following the ad. Well, in the trade, there are no ads, so you have this big giant red A on on a page, and then you flip the page and there's the double page spread. It's, it's just the way that at times the, the the reprint or the collected edition has to be packaged or presented because there there were ads in the in in the comic book itself but there are no ads in the trade it's just like it's sometimes that I get a collected edition it's just like there was the way it was packaged or the page layout it was just like the, there was no thought to it. I like you said people that write for the trades Alan and and you enjoy reading those stories but they also don't plan. It doesn't seem like they plan the trade out when they're doing Man, when, when could, they're putting the ads in the comic they, book. They couldn't correct that. There's no possible way they could because but, of the pagination would be all thrown could, off. Right, and, and you could do a gatefold. <laughs> yeah, you Absolutely. could. <laughs> there was, you know, and but what's the big deal? I mean, so you have a page that's got, you know got a big A on it. So what? Oh, okay. Because on on page one, I have I have like Captain America paying. reaching down for for Spider Man's arm, and then and then pulling him up, and then and then oh look, I have a big, a big A facing me, and then I turn the page, and it's like oh that's what everybody. Oh, it was, was in the at. it was in the middle of. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I it wasn't, wasn't in between issues. It was it was it, it's like as if there was an ad in the comic book, and then you turn the page, and there's a double page spread. Okay, it, I love it when Sal comes on. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I have to, you know, I. It, well, I mean, no, I just didn't know. I didn't. Well, that's what you get for reading that book, anyway. I mean, I know you're right. You, you, right. you, you got to know that going into it. <laughs> it is, well, yeah, I should have learned, you know, from my time with Finch on Moon Knight. But it, it's just—it's. It, you're right. You know, it's, whether it's the collective mentality, whether it's just you know the fact that I've been reading comics since, since the '80s, the early '80s, and I just—I do—I I have that thinking that like you know this, the trade is the second. Version of this story. It's tainted. I, I don't. I don't think. Well, I'd say it's, it's unclean. It's, it's Al Milgram drew. <laughs> Al Milgram inked the phrase in there that got him fired. But it's just. It's. I don't know. I. But I don't think that way with the tra- with the hardcovers, or the well, absolute editions, or, yeah, or the omnibuses. It's like it's like wow. It's like okay, they they really put a lot of work into this, and and this looks really nice, and and I don't think that this is a because it doesn't it doesn't look like it. You can those. When when Vertigo comes out with the first trade of of whatever story, it's like it's it's on like the the cheap newsprint paper. It's 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 just you know it's to get out the first five, six, or seven issues, and okay, ten bucks, and now you can go read it and get caught up on this new series. And it's just it it almost feels like okay, well, it it, it it's it's a hand me down or a knockoff or something. I just I have to get out of that mentality, but I I don't think I won't stop buying those those monthly comic books. I'm You'll get out of like, it once you get as old old as we are. <laughs> you just want to read it. Yep. Well, you just want to read. I'll be 35 in September. Oh well, you're as old as me. I know. Yeah, well, well I just didn't want to correct Chad. That's fine. Well, I'm 41, so <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's the geezer cast with the, the two geezer young cast. Sal and Dave. Well, I don't remember when comics were printed on tree bark. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, this is Braxton with a quick impression for the Marvel Bullpen Bulletins show. This is an impression of Captain Marvel. 
Been working pretty hard on it. Pretty excited. Alright, it's starting now. Shazam! <laughs> oh, I'm done. What do you think of that, huh? Call fucking Rich Little. Get him on the horn, tell him I want some. Let, let's let's go on another... Tablets. I think Brian has something to say, and then we should just take this somewhere else. Well, I, I wanted to bring up... You had mentioned the, the, the Vertigo printing on the cheaper paper. I love that stuff. Me too. Uh, I think it... it uh, for one, I, I like the effect it has on the art. Um, and I'm all for finding cheaper ways to print comics. I mean, sure. you pay, you know, as... Vince, you've your famous now infamous non rant, you know, <laughs> rant, not rant. also known as the boohoo episode from Mr. <laughs> Tom Caters. And he was Fuck on it. it. <laughs> you can't pass. You can't give anything past Tom. Forget it. He's he's gonna be on you. He's quite um, sharp. Yeah, but no, I mean prices are just gonna keep increasing unless something changes to uh, or something happens to make that change and. I'm all for finding ways to print cheaper comics, and if it's I don't need super heavy stock glossy paper, and you know that kind of stuff. I understand on some level that people like that, but to me, and I think this is another thing with age. I am much more interested in the writing of a story now than the art, where I used to be much more interested in the art than the writing. So that's just a personal preference, but I can you know get the same effect from the art. Uh, printed on cheaper paper, and and depending on the story, I think it works really well. I mean, I just, I was flipping through. I was at a, a border store earlier today, and uh, <laughs> they don't sponsor us, dude. I, I can you send me over the cash register sound effect? <laughs> sure. No, I was honestly. Chris and I actually went out to lunch, and and we stopped at Borders, and I was looking at the uh, All Star Superman uh, hardcover because I'm going to buy it, even though I have the issues. Um, and it's printed on that cheaper paper. Is it really? Uh, yeah, but wow. I really liked it because it, you know, I mean, that book is a throwback, you know. In yeah, that, yeah, quite, quietly's done some fantastic work on that. Mm -hmm. But I was a little surprised to see it, but I, I thought it, it was a, I thought it was a cool effect, and it does, doesn't bother me at all. So, you know, any way that we can find ways to uh, to print cheaper comics, I think, you know, go for it, whatever it takes. I don't, you know. I don't need the, the super high end. I mean, now you know if you're going to pay a hundred dollars or something for a, a, an absolute edition, that's a different story. You're obviously looking for you know, high end quality, and, and they do that. I mean, those books are, are phenomenal. But for a trade, if you're trying to make a ten dollar trade, you know, for me personally, I'm you know, go ahead, print it on. Oh yeah, you want yeah. people to read it absolutely. And it's like you know that those first those initial vertigo trades which are priced at 9.99 if you are getting some kind of discount you can actually get those for 5 yeah. bucks and yeah. change you know which yeah. is perfect cuz i am pretty late on the boat with scalped and right. this yeah, this yeah. month 9.99 so i'm definitely picking it up and I'm, and from what i've heard it's it's a fantastic title and no doubt I'll pick up the monthlies after so that's makes it's just smart business d decision and another smart businessman is Eric Larson 
today, I think it was announced that Andy Watson's new book, Glister, is a 64-page digest-sized black-and-white comic, which is a step in the right direction, but they kind of slipped up on the pricing because it's five ninety nine. Now, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that a 64-page digest is the same amount of paper as a 32-page regular-sized comic. But, you know, they're pricing it well beyond what a 32-page regular-sized comic would be. Even, even you know, some of the Desperado stuff at Image, which I don't think Desperado's with them anymore, but uh, they were priced at three fifty for a black-and-white comic, which is pushing it for me. And there's no way in hell I would spend five ninety nine for a regular size black and white comic, but in this format, maybe I will, just because it, it, it's a uh, I want to support their decision to go digest size for new books, which is I think is a great idea, as as long as they you know keep the prices in check five ninety nine too much, but well maybe because it's Andy Watson too. And it's gorgeous. If yeah. you look at the preview images, it's really good stuff. So I'll support it. But that's the way I want to see all comics go. Well, where's where's the American version of Shonen Jump? How come we don't have? And I I talked to I think I was talking with Phil Hester about this a while back. And name dropping. Yeah, I know. But it um, we were talking about Shonen Jump and how come nobody? Because I had the idea of like trying to find a bunch of independent artists that have already published work, like, say, you know, Dave uh, Walker, you know, Scar Tissue, and take Scar Tissue and publish it with, you know, say, I don't know, ten other books in black and white in a magazine format uh, in chapters Mm -hmm. for six months or a year or, you know, however long it takes to tell that story to try and, one, you know, give a cheap, version of anthology, you know, an anthology book and promote their work, you know, they've already published it. So they've, they've already paid for that. So you're not, you know, you're reprinting it, but you're printing it on newsprint, you're printing it in a magazine format, and you try and release a, you know, 120-page or 240-page magazine for six ninety nine. That's reprint, basically reprinted material with the idea of serializing it and getting people either to come back every month to read it or go find the original issues of it. Right. Well, Shonen Jump sometimes goes to 400 pages. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they yeah. have huge, those huge phone books of of work. But it's like, how come nobody's done that in the U.S.? How come we don't see that in any, for, you know, format in the U.S.? Well, or, or I shouldn't say in the U.S., but I should say in, in American comics. Right. I think part of the reason is because the status quo has been established. Shonen Jump is an anomaly, they surprised everybody with the success of that book. Um, I, I don't think there was too many people who thought it would be a sure thing before they published that first issue. But it really took off because it's it's actually something in American comics, or by an American comics publisher, that gives the reader value for their money. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that in the comic industry, really. They're, they're used to making a certain amount of profit on every book, and they're not going to change the status quo and, and actually reduce the bottom line just because they're, they're, you know, they're taking a chance on a new business venture. It just doesn't happen. But I think that's what we need is, is something like that. But what if, I mean, Image or Dark Horse or even Marvel or DC did it with stuff that they've already printed in the single-issue format? Well, if and, if Marvel did it, it would be sixteen ninety nine and call, and it would be called an essential. Yeah, well, but no, I'm I'm saying, what if you took 
okay, what if you took, uh, you know, you went back uh, a year from today. Mm -hmm. Whatever book was on the shelf, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, uh, you know, Fantastic Four, The Hulk, and Iron Man. Right. You took uh, eight pages from each one of those monthly issues, and you put it together in an anthology and printed printed kept printing that for the next uh, what would it be three months basically before you'd get the full story in right. each one of those stories I mean they already they've already made or, or lost their money on those issues if you reprinted them in black and white to you know one just to get people turned on to, to books in a cheaper format you know and and two to try and get them to come back and buy the magazine you could sell advertising in the magazine obviously um, I don't see. I, I mean, I don't understand why they wouldn't try something I, like that. I, compete, one compete with Shonen Jump because you're going to be on newsstands. You know, I mean, it's it's a place where you don't see Marvel comics or DC comics. Certainly, I mean, you see some, but you know, you, you certainly don't see Image or Dark Horse rarely ever on a newsstand. Right. But this, you know, would be sitting next to uh, Teen Beat or whatever. You know, whatever yeah, yeah. You magazine. See, I think we were joined at the hip at, at one time because I've been saying this since day one. That's what the American publishers need. And can you hear Dave Wachter? He's, <laughs> so there's a little voice saying, yeah, but anthologies don't sell. Well, ma- ask, make ask, them sell. You ask know? Image about flight, how, how that sold. I mean, yeah, but that's not really a good example because they lost that. But <laughs> initially it did sell very well. Well, but, I mean, but you don't have to. You're not producing new material. The cost of it is not right. You've already paid the bills on those books, so why not? Yeah, I, I mean, why why not reprint that stuff and and put it in a magazine format? You, it's you don't have to sell a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or a million copies of the dang thing for it to make any money or it, at the very least sustain itself. And for an independent guy like Dave, yeah, maybe anthologies don't sell, but you know how much you know how how well is scar tissue selling right he needs you more know, exposure need, exactly and that's you know i, I mean that for a lot of independent guys i think it could do a lot of good things and speaking of advertising where have all the advertisers gone in comics remember in the 70s I, I was just thinking about this, but go ahead. They were littered. Every page. I mean, you had the, the sometimes three columns of ads in a comic book, like uh, <laughs> Howard, what was his name, R- Ragasfi or Ragasfi or whatever would sell comics, and you had you know the little skeleton in the pocket thing yeah. and Johnson Smith Company and just like actually literally hundreds of advertisers in, in, a, in any given issue. And it's like now you have maybe a video game company here and there and the rest is all in-house ads why aren't they making an effort to to branch out and get more advertisers i was actually thinking about this last night i was uh, sitting on the can and i was reading an old uh, thor that i had found uh laying around somewhere and i was laughing at all the little you know classified ads and and you know full page uh ads filled with uh you know, five or six different little companies selling, you know, X-ray specs or whatever else you want to mm-hmm. see in there. And, and I was thinking the same thing. It's like, how come we don't see that anymore in in uh, comics? And I think, I think one, it's the pricing. Yeah. I think that they've kind of priced themselves out of that um, by trying to chase the big dollar corporate America. Um, and think and, of, think about it. When was the last time you saw a 
a traditional comic retailer in a Marvel book. Probably it was Mile High, because he's probably the only one who could afford it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody else. That was around the time Count Dante, the deadliest man alive. Oh, yeah. It was on like every other page of the comic. And and that would be perfect for Cameron at DCBS to get a, a hell of a lot more subscribers if he just took a quarter-page ad out in, in a Marvel book, but it's probably astronomical. I don't even want to think how much it is. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know on a, on a periodical like that that's... Yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine what the ad space... And I, mean, it's I know... Of, it's got to have been like the late 70s, early 80s they stopped doing that. Yeah. And, you know, and you know, like the rates are probably through the roof for a small guy to take an ad out in a comic book now. And like you guys are saying. I've done newspaper work for many years, and the name of the game in newspaper work is volume. If mm-hmm. if I, I've actually had to chop the end off a story to put an ad in, because sure. newspaper publishers will bend over backwards for their advertisers, and there's a reason why, because they're footing the bill for the print run. Whereas it seems to be the Marvel and DC and most American publishers are the antithesis of that, where they don't really give a shit about the advertisers, you know? The, yeah, I don't well, care you, where they place the ads either. Well, you know, it's like, let's just run a full-page in-house ad, which basically does nothing. Because if you're reading a Marvel comic and you see an ad for another Marvel comic, chances are you know about it and don't buy it, or you already buy it. Right. So you're preaching yeah. to the converted, to the choir. Well, it could be a, a double-edged sword, though. I mean, a situation where anytime they... I mean, they have tried some different type of advertising, and every time they seem to do something, you hear about it on message boards and, and podcasts and everywhere else, people bitching about, you know, the ads. And so I don't know if it was a decision made for any sort of aesthetic mm-hmm. uh, value that, that, you know, they weren't going to try and fill it up with... Uh, fill up monthly books with you know a bunch of smaller ads or, or that kind of thing. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the directive is behind it. But. And, and you're also right. Those those full page groupings of ads in the old comics that dates the book for me. Sure. I'll I'll be looking at those ads and I I remember as a kid reading these things, yep. and it brings me right back to when I read that book for the first time, where I was. You know yeah. what time of the year it was. I know exactly based on the ads and the story, naturally. But in a lot of cases, it's the ads too. And if Marvel split a page into three columns and offered maybe you know smaller than, but like around a business card size ad for say fifty bucks, I'd buy one. Yeah. For our podcast, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think maybe part of it is just um, they don't they, they may not see the value out of it. Because the market is so small. I mean, realistically, if you look at a, per- a monthly periodical of, you know, what's Marvel's top top selling book right now at, at three hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. copies. I mean, a magazine would go out of business selling that many copies, that few copies, I should say. Right. Um, so, I mean, it may just be, a, you know, sort of why comics are so expensive because they can't. They can't get the advertising to come any longer um, because they don't have the numbers. And so instead of trying to chase it and maybe cheapen the look of the books uh, <laughs> more so, yeah, I, you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, maybe the, the decision was made to, you know, to just up the prices on the cover and uh, 
and not worry as much about the advertising. I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I... Uh, they should I do a little experiment because I've seen some three-quarter page ads in Marvel books. They should try a little experiment where they try and sell a strip of single-column ads or thinner mm-hmm. and just see how it works. I mean, they have nothing to lose. I, yeah, um... Maybe they do though. I don't know. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't know what one of those full page ads go for. But you know, a lot of times, if you can sell a full page ad, you, there's no reason to sell three. You know, third page. Uh, it's you know, there's no point to it. You're not going to make more money on them. Those you know, a full page ad you can sell for more than than you're going to sell three third. You know, and and you have to take the time to go around and chase those down and find somebody to to pay you for the three. Uh, three separate ads as opposed to one you know one customer to pay for the one but a page of smaller ads keeps your eyes it, it attracts your attention longer than if it was a single page ad it's been proven single page sure. single wow. page ads work but only for a limited amount of time whereas if your eye encounters a page of different colored smaller ads you'll stay on that page longer just to you know see what's going on Whereas, especially a double-page ad in a in a comic book, you flip past that sucker in a second. Yeah, yeah. you know, because depending on what type of ad it is, if it's for a video game that's that's drawn, you might think it's part of the comic for a quick second. Well, they've been trying that. You know, they've been trying the experiments with the different, you know, uh, three or four pa- page comic book ads uh, that are you know drawn. Yeah, that never works. Yeah. Well, I don't know if any of it works. I mean, when was the last time you saw something in in a comic book that you rushed out and bought? Really? Probably a video game. Yeah. Certainly I, not a Chihuahua. I I don't remember the <laughs> or last or an thing. element. Yeah. I, the last thing I bought was you know probably like X Ray Specs. You know, back yeah. in seventy <laughs> nine. Yeah. Sea monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Vincent, David. This is Mark Mela. I was tooling around online in between the delays for Ultimates number 13. And I happened to notice that Marvel Comics has announced that Civil War Chronicles is coming out, reprinting every issue in chronological order of that shite series that I was involved with. Each issue is going to have two Civil War stories. What a bunch of bullocks! It's a bunch of shite. All right, that's it. I'm done with y'all. Goodbye. I don't know. Yeah, to me, I I don't even pay attention. I don't even glance at the ads in a comic. I don't. To me, I don't. My eye is trained to just ignore them at this point. Yeah. So. So they're not doing their job. No, well, I think I think a lot of them are targeted toward younger, demog- the younger demographic, than the people that are actually reading the comics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it yeah. seems that way sometimes. I mean, it's I know kids read comics, but I, I'm assuming that the majority of readers are older readers. Yeah. At at three bucks a pop, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had uh, we had contacted. Um, a comic book publisher, a smaller publisher, talk about advertising in their book, in in some of their books. Um, and initially, we were talking about you know like trading out ad space with them. And 
you know, the the sales guy thought it was a great idea. Loved the idea of trading out ad space with our podcast. We'd get some ads in, in their comics. Um, but the owner of the company uh, said he'd rather just sell the ads for the, you know, whatever, 100 bucks or whatever it was a month per, you know, per comic uh, than trade out stuff. So a lot of the times these guys, you know, depending on who it is, just don't have the, you know, I, I've worked in marketing for, I don't know, 18 years now, and there's not that many creative people in marketing, quite honestly. In in it's, everybody sort of follows, you know, chases whatever's next, whatever is the next either hot thing or what has worked for them in the past. That's pretty much the two sides of it that you have. So... <clears throat> experimentation, you know, I don't know. I just don't think you're going to get a lot of out of it from a, a marketing firm, especially one, you know, uh, that's in charge of uh, Marvel or DC. Yeah, and the intelligence level decreases as the importance of the job increases. That's what yes. I've, I've found out. Uh, the the company I work for, the people in charge are just clueless. They have no idea how to sell their product, uh, no idea who their audience is. They just keep trying these these tried and true formulas to sell their product. And each year we sell less and less of what the things that we do, and it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm I'm kind of in the same in the same situation. It's just. Uh, you know, especially with the internet, it's just changed everything. Yeah, but that's and symptomatic of the country too. I mean, we're still burning gasoline in our cars, so right. it's just—it's not unique to publishers. That that's just a uh, a thing that is uh, the mindset of the whole country. So I guess here's an idea I had today. I, I wish when's somebody going to invent Wi-Fi electricity? Tesla already did invent Wi-Fi mm-hmm. electricity. Well, bring it back. Somebody, you, you know, I need some Wi-Fi electricity. I, I'm tired of plugging stuff in. But you can't put a meter on Wi-Fi electricity, so it'll never oh, happen. Son of a... Yeah. That's why Tesla was killed, but don't get me started. <laughs> I agree. Conspiracy theories. All right. Well, it's no conspiracy. There you go. See? <laughs> Preach on, Brother Chad. <coughs> All right. Let's read a couple letters. We got some listener email. And bef- before we get into the two standouts in the bunch, that we got a couple, and lately we've been getting emails that all basically say the same thing. You know, why are you guys such kiss asses? You're all, you know, you're Marvel zombies. The company doesn't do anything wrong in your eyes. I can't take your opinion seriously because you love everything that oh, I'm Marvel. Sorry. I'll stop sending those. Please do. <laughs> so, you know, David and I have decided to just talk about the bad Marvel books, and we're going to change the name to the of the podcast to Marvel Sucks Syphilitic Donkey Balls. Okay? Just it, the balls? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't roll off the tongue, but no, but seriously, it's a Marvel podcast. So, and why talk about something we dislike? Right. We, we, we like to focus on the titles that are really good coming from Marvel, and the ones that are really good are very well done, so we get excited about them. But I don't think we're that gushing in our reviews of Marvel books. We do throw some jabs once in a while. I think it was even just last week we were talking about the Spider titles. Aside from Amazing, the Spider books are not all that great right now. Oh, they're just, shit. They're, we're they're, talking they're, about Moon Knight and Universal, too. 
Yeah. So we're not... I don't think we're Marvel zombies. I mean, I'll call a spade a spade. If the book sucks, I'll, I'll say it. it. It does. So I don't understand where that's coming from. But everyone's entitled to their opinion, and everyone's got one. So We actually got someone that... Because uh, you know, Chris, Chris and Tom and I kind of have the same feeling. It's like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about stuff that I don't like. There's enough of that on the internet. Mm-hmm. Right. For forms um, or four. Yeah, you know, go ahead and bitch all you want. It, for whatever reason, the comics industry seems to breed fans that want to find other people that hate the stuff that they hate, <laughs> as opposed to finding people that like the stuff that you like. So yeah. that's fine if that's what you want to do. I don't particularly want to partake. But um, we actually had somebody tell us that, uh, well, it was on a forum, on another podcast uh, forum. Uh, they had put out the thing, you know, what other podcasts you listen to? And, and our name had gotten mentioned. And and somebody, you know, was like, oh, you know, I I, I, I kind of like the show, but I can't stand all the hate uh, or the the haterism. And I'm like, haterism? <laughs> what? When was the last time we, like, bashed anything? And, uh, the only thing I could think is that, you know, maybe it's because we hate each other so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... I don't know. I just think you can't, uh, you know, don't don't let it bother you too much because I think you can't please everybody. And I'm just happy we're getting mail. Yeah, I don't get any. We don't get it like, well, we get some mail, but we don't get Oh, I email mail. you all the time. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> what do you wear? Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I, but, I have to say, too, the, the bullpen, bulletin forum is one of the best forums out there as far as no negativity and yeah oh, thanks. i mean there's some really nice people on there and and um you you just don't ever see anything any negativity on there at all nobody arguing with each other except when they're talking about the fantastic four movie but well <laughs> that's well deserved but you're right and it's because it is like a family we've all found our way to that forum from other places and we were all familiar with each other and I go out of my way when somebody comes in just to make them feel at home because it's like a guest in my house and I want them to stick around you know so David David bends over backwards for new people I'll only take it to a certain extent but David sends them like free stuff and and (laughs) (laughs) he bent over he bent over forwards for me I did yeah (laughs) Me too. You sure got a pretty mouth. <laughs> but negative, you know, negativities. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. <laughs> oh, for you, maybe. Okay, anyway. Negativity's not my bag. I just won't do it. Uh, but in certain cases where we have to be informative and tell people what they're going to get, I will say, and David will say, this book is just not what I consider a good comic. For instance, the first issue of Spider-Man Family. I wasn't all that thrilled with it. It didn't it wasn't a bad effort. It just didn't wow me. Unlike the second issue, which I got today in my DCBS box, the second issue is spectacular and I think it's the way the book should be. They have a story in there by Sean McKeever. Uh it's a Spidey versus Venom thing. I think but, it might be, I think this might be his last Marvel story actually. Oh, but it's it's illustrated by Kano. And David oh, okay. David Lafuente, uh, I think they're both from Spain, and the art is spectacular. And it's not the kind of art you would expect to see on a, a Spider-Man title. It's very expressive. It's almost 
vertigo-ish. It's 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 loose and it's it's expressive and it's all over the place. And there's another story. Uh, it's a lizard story written by Paul Benjamin, but it's illustrated by Vasilis Lolos, the guy who did Pirates of Coney Island. And I just love that guy's artwork. And again, it's not something you would expect to see in a Spider title. And that's what I think Spider-Man Family should be. It should be the first part of it should be uh, curveballs experimentation stuff you wouldn't expect to see let's tr- you know try and see what works on a spider-man and what doesn't work and we know what works so let's just try and mix it up definitely pick up spider-man family number two to see how spider-man could look if marvel had a little bit more guts and, and, and tried something different and and the second half of the book you get an eric larson spider-man story which you can't go wrong with eric larson you Otherwise get, known as Crusher Creel. <laughs> and you get a vintage, I think it's Amazing 177. It picks up where last issue left off. Oh, okay. By Ross Andrew, which is just, I've said it before, as far as Spider-Man artists go, Ross Andrew's the peak for me, even though, Spider-Man. yeah. So it's a great, and then you have shit Spider-Man J at the end, but you could skip over that part. <laughs> <laughs> A great issue for four ninety nine. You're getting like four comics. It, it's 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 a no brainer, and it's a it's an excellent title. And they've taken a chance on it, which is re- the cover's amazing. So pick up Spider Man Family number two. But anyway, we got a letter from a, a guy. I think David will go in with me on this one. Uh, pretty much the best colorist in the business. Oh yeah, color artist, Mr. Maury Hollowell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I what? I believe one of our guests will be reading that letter. Uh, Maury said, Great floppy episode, Vince. Sorry, I still haven't called in, but I thought I'd drop an email real quick and let you know I think the show rocks my socks off. Love the intros and really love that you host the show with your mortal enemy, I mean, buddy, David. Makes things fun. Okay, back to work for me. I'm coloring the Fallen Sun cap issue. Gotta hook it up. It's my first time working with Mr. Romita Jr., and I've been a longtime fan, much like yourself. Later, Mo. Ah, what a guy. Indeed. He's so cool. And he, he, he's coloring comics and takes a minute, you know, to write David and I a letter. That's awesome. The guy is just, I, I can't wait to meet him. I, it's I, even I, cooler that he put you guys in the Civil War. Uh, oh, yeah. That's Yeah. Wow. And uh, Around Comics made it in there. Yeah. CGS. Big, big. Yeah, thanks. but nobody really caught that one, did they? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were actually in it, if you went page by page, Round Comics were in it more than we were. Were we? Yeah, in the, sec- yeah. In the second issue, yeah. I mean, in the, in the the we were in the fourth or fifth issue, and yeah. you guys were in the following issue, and yeah. you were in a couple of spots. Well, Maury is, is certainly, uh, for my money, the best, best colorist uh, out there. I think he... Uh, he is truly a color artist. Uh, he adds so much to mm-hmm. the work that he does. Uh, I think, you know, uh, you look at the stuff he did on Civil War with McNiven, it, it would not be the same art without his coloring. Definitely not. Definitely not. No. Uh, and, uh, and, he, <laughs> and he, uh, and he's, you know, he can really tailor his style too to different books. I mean, he doesn't, you know, not everything he does. Is that uh, that high rendered stuff? He he does a lot of other stuff too that that is um, either more traditional or, or uh, you know flatter colors that kind of stuff. But it's all really good. So yeah. he's a he's a heck of a heck of a artist. He's got an un- uncanny color sense. Yeah, he, I think he's brilliant. And uh, the textures are just the icing on the cake. 
Yeah. It, yeah. His Iron Man colors, the stuff he does on Iron Man's armor is, is pretty unbelievable. I mean, it it makes it look uh, like, you know, titanium or, yeah. or whatever kind of... I mean, it looks like metal like nothing else. He, know, he gives it there. weight, texture. Um, you, you actually feel like this armor has seen some battle it's it's been in conflicts before tony just didn't pull it out of the closet and slap it on this is a, right. a weathered piece of, of 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 whatever alloy it is it's just he's brilliant but uh yeah maury's freaking fantastic i love him and we got another letter from another professional this time from chris marshall of the collected comics library Ooh. yeah he says uh i thought you david and your bullpen bulletin listeners would be interested to know that i just uploaded a podcast interview i did with jeff parker the writer of agents of atlas x-men first class among other things and he'd be grateful if you mentioned it or blogged about it well since we don't blog other, if I guess you can call the forum a kind of a blog, but so we're going to mention it, and we'll post the link to this uh, on the forum under the episode twenty-seven thread, so you can check this out as well. And if you don't listen to Collected Comics Library, I would recommend it, especially if you are the type of person that enjoys reading their comic books in trade format, because Chris knows everything; he just knows too much about trades and collected editions. The guy's on the ball. Well, there was a, uh, was a great episode months back where Chris appeared on Around Comics, and everybody, all four of them, Chris, Chris, Sal, and Tom, all picked, was it the top five trades or collected editions? Yeah. Yeah, we, we went through our list. I don't even remember what my list was now. I don't even Well, I'm sure it's, it would have changed. Well, I think even Chris said that, you know, depending on the the next day, it would have been a completely set of, a different set of five books. Yeah. The only, yeah, the only one that I know for sure would be on there would be... Uh, and this is a DC book. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> the Watchmen of Dark Knight. No, no, New Frontier. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Oh God, yeah. yeah. New for New Frontier is probably my favorite comic of te- the last ten or fifteen years. Wow. Yeah, I I can't <laughs> get it. I've, me as well. I've I got that hardcover, and I can't stop going back to it and and uh, drooling over it. I just it's so chock full. Of stuff. Yeah, you're right. I agree with you there. I like to stick it to DC as as much as the next guy, but I can't find anything bad to say about New Frontier. It, it, it's it, pretty much perfect. Yeah, uh, it's and if you have a chance to look in that hardcover, uh, there's two great letters by Darwin Cook um, talking about like why he wanted to do uh, that book and and what it meant to him, and, and uh, it's it's great stuff and really gives you an appreciation for him. Uh, and his work even more. So I recommend it. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Let's run with that a little bit, just Uh for a second, because I don't know what David or or Chad would pick as as their their top five trades of of all time. (sighs) I sure sound like a pick now. I'll let Chad go first. You go first, David. No, no, you, you, because I'll probably just say, oh, yeah, me too. Of all time? Yeah. (sighs) Turn around you, and look at my shelf here. Yeah, wait a wait, wait to bring the episodes. Screeching halt. <laughs> well, I think it's a good topic. It's 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 because it's I, a fabulous topic. It'd be something I'd love to research. Creative organism designated Andrea Divino. Begin. Hello and welcome to another of Bupen Bulletin's interviews. Today, with the great talent behind the pages of Annihilation, Mr. Andrea DeVito. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. 
Alright, this is our second take because I'm stupid and I forgot to press record, so I'm making Mr. DeVito <laughs> go through this all over again. But uh, but uh, but it's okay. So I I finally get to sit down with you uh, for an interview. It's been a long time. People don't know don't know this, but um, you were the first interview I wanted to get ever since I joined the bullpen. So obviously I'm extremely happy to have you here. I'm very glad too. Thank you very much for having me here. <laughs> okay, so starting at the beginning, I know you you live in Italy, Rome. I'm taking a wild guess. Um, since I also live in the old country, and say that uh, your experience coming into comics, especially American ones, uh, is different than it would be for someone that has always uh, lived in the U.S. So my question uh, is, how did it start? What made uh, you want to do comics? Well, uh, it all started a long time ago, actually. I was very young, a little kid, and my dad decided to buy a comic book for me. And uh, I remember it, and it was a Spider-Man comic book. See, that's the weird thing, because here in Italy we have plenty of comic books, but he picked that one because it was so colorful. You know, it was uh, was great to look at, and I just fell in love with it. And uh, I always, you know, wanted to draw. I I was always sketching somewhere on the the walls or on old uh, paper bags and stuff like that. And growing up, I just kept collecting comic books since one day, I just saw the Savage Sword of Conan by John Buscema at that time. Roy Thomas was writing, and it just blew me away. That's when I decided I wanted to do comic books for a living. And, you know, the thought kept uh, staying there in my brain until I decided, you know, what the hell? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not fit to be a lawyer because that's what I was studying at the time. So I took all the money that I had, you know, that, that I earned doing small jobs here and there, you know, being a waiter and stuff like that. And I just took the plane and went to San Diego. And there I met uh, Mark Alessi, who was uh, studying cross-gen at that time. And he decided that, you know, it was, I was good enough to give me a try. And uh, he hired me as an associate penciler in cross-gen comics. And I had the chance to learn, basically, from all the most talented pencilers we had in the business at that time. People like, I don't know, Bart Sears and Steve Epting, Scott Eaton, uh, Paul Pelletier, uh, a lot of people actually that it influenced me a lot. And uh, I grew up really fast in, in that kind of studio because I could, you know, look at other people's stuff and uh, we could talk about storytelling and different techniques. It's something that I suggest anybody uh, who wants to, to do this job and has the chance to work in a studio, just take the chance and do it because you're going to grow really fast, learning a lot of stuff. So that's how that's how it started for me when when CrossGen went bankrupt. Uh, Marvel picked me up and gave me the chance <laughs> of a lifetime because I always wanted to to draw Marvel characters. So I had the chance to start with Thor, which was one of my favorites, and everything snowballed from there. You actually um, w- went to um, comic book school. Yeah, yeah, actually, I tried that. Uh, I just finished high school. I was just starting you know, uh, university, and uh, I gave myself this little luxury because it was quite expensive at that time. I didn't have a job, so I didn't want to burden my parents with, you know, a, a great deal of money, but still, I had to, I had to see and, and, uh, and learn what I could from, from the Italian market, and uh, the, the great thing about that is that I met my wife there, so <laughs> it, was, it was money good spent. <laughs> That's right. No, that's Laura, right? 
Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, the whiz behind uh, the, the amazing colors of Annihilation. Yeah, yeah. We actually like to work together a lot because at this point of our careers, we can pretty much read each other's minds. So it's pretty easy and fast, too. So Marvel um, loves it. <laughs> I bet. So was it um, was it always uh, superheroes? Because you said Spider-Man. I'm thinking, was it always superheroes that drew you um, into the to the comic world? Well, actually, uh, basically, yeah. I, w I was in love with superheroes, and uh, after a while, you know, growing up, I started to get into uh, fantasy stuff. You know, uh, I saw some illustrations for the Lord of the Rings, and of course, Conan. Um, it, it just, uh, you know, anything uh, visual started to have a big appeal on me. And, of course, being in Rome, you, always, you also have to consider that we have a lot of, tons of art. Yes, you, you yes, wanna I look know. At the, one of the biggest comic books ever, just take a look at the Sistine Chapel. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> everything true. around me is a big influence. Is um, because you you were actually uh, lucky, I guess, because um, I live in Portugal and uh, it's it's mm -hmm. completely different for us here. It's not uh, it we yeah we we couldn't like just go and um, uh, pick up any comic book it would have to be ordered or something. Oh yes, so uh, I'm actually a little bit jealous, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but that, I that sounds interesting. I'm lucky. I, I have some Italian friends of my own that live in Italy. And uh, that uh -huh. some sometimes, uh, if we um, get them a little bit um, altered with alcohol, they get a they mm -hmm. get a little bit pompous, <laughs> and they start. Uh, I I had to to go through the conversation of we have three uh, two thirds of the art in all of the world twice, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking was that a, an influence at all? Well, it, it it does actually. I mean, not to be pompous or anything, because <laughs> I didn't have any alcohol tonight, not yet. But uh, you know, it's uh, I, I noticed this. I lived in the U.S. for four years while I was working with Crossion, and one of the things that I that I noticed that a lot of people are fascinated by the amount, the the staggering amount of stuff that we have here. So I started to realize that we're really lucky. I mean, if you want to do a job that involves any kind of visual arts, uh, being surrounded by, by masterpieces is only going to make you um, want to do more. You know, it just drives you. Or maybe, maybe just visiting a museum, you're going to see a painting or a sculpture, and that's going to spark something in your brain. So the more input you can have, uh, I think the better it is for you. So I guess I'm, I'm really lucky because there's there's just plenty here you know and and it's something that I, that I always try to share with my colleagues and my friends overseas uh you know pushing them to look at stuff the more the more you look the more you learn so it, it's something that I'm really you know on one side I'm really proud on the other I don't want to I don't want to sound like a know-it-all or something like that so you know if there's alcohol involved then yeah it's probably <laughs> something that's going to trigger the hey I come from a place that has two-thirds of the art pieces of the world but you know usually we don't do like that <laughs> um so before before you 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 got uh, to work at CrossGen um, when you when you were starting, um, mm -hmm. even just doing um, uh, work in Italy, what uh, who at that time who were you uh, were your influences? Well, uh, you know, I'm kind of an anomaly uh, here because a lot of my friends, my Italian colleagues here, 
um, they started working in comics, looking at uh, Italian comics, which are very different from the American ones. I grew up with uh, with American comics, so for me, uh, John Buscema was the guy to go to. I mean, he just he he was everything to me. He had, he had everything that I that I wanted to do. He was already doing, you know, dead on anatomy, dynamic, dramatic. He had he had everything, and he was synthetic too. He didn't spend time on a page noodling or putting uh, too much detail into it. He went straight to the action, straight to the to the pose that he needed. And it's something so powerful that just uh, stuck in my brain, and uh, <laughs> it's still there. I mean, that's that's the stuff. I was lucky enough that uh, I could spend some time with him when he came visiting me in Italy. And uh, I, I remember that evening we had dinner together, and it was uh, amazing because he told me so much in one evening. It just opened my mind to so many possibilities doing this job. And uh, also, <laughs> he gave me some pretty good advices to keep my feet on the ground because he was he was a master to that. I mean, he he, he was one of the the biggest uh, pencilers uh, at his time, but he he was always you know very humble. Very he. I mean, today you can you can talk to a lot of people doing this job, and some of them can be pretty cocky or you know get their uh, hot and talented. Uh, titles get to them, but, but not John. I mean, he taught me to be, uh, he taught me humility and, you know, just do your job, do it on time. It's only a job. One thing that he told me was, uh, at the end of the day, you just have to finish your page and don't look at it anymore. It's not going to ha- hang in, a, in an art museum, so just let it go. And uh, it's one of the, the greatest suggestions he could give me because I was very scared about it. So that's, that's, he's my biggest influence. For sure. Okay, so um, you you got into CrossGen, then that um, died. So um, and then you were picked up by Marvel. Uh, did Andy got, get to you? Oh no, it was um, CB Sabalski. He right. got to me at that time, and uh, Steve McNeven was already working for them, and uh, they were looking for somebody that was uh, fast enough because I think that the the time on the on the tour. Uh, story was a big issue because it had to be a double shipper for the first issue uh-huh. and uh, they were looking for somebody reliable so basically Steve uh, told CB to give me, give me a call and, and he did so I started to do some tryouts basically for the, for the character and uh, at first I was uh, hired for two issues and then after the tryouts they, they gave me the entire final arc so I guess it worked out, and uh, it was a it was a great feeling at that time. It could, I couldn't believe it was true. <laughs> and now you just you just finished. Uh, well, not just, but you know, for us the readers, you just finished uh, Annihilation. How was that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was <laughs> it was it was long. <laughs> a lot of pages. Uh, when I started the project, I was I was working on the thing at that time, yeah. and uh, since sales were not were not going great. Uh, Tom Braver suggested that uh, that I would start, you know, thinking about something else. And uh, Andy Schmidt actually uh, wanted me to to do this project pretty bad. So he started talking to me about it. And uh, as soon as he mentioned uh, Nova and, and Thanos and you know that kind of stuff, I just went, okay, okay, I got it. You know, I want to do it. And uh, I, but I didn't realize at that time that it would be such a juggernaut. I mean, it's it's huge. The more I look at it, 
uh, at the finished course. The more I realized that it's just a lot of pages. <laughs> it was supposed to be six issues, but we had oversized issues all all the way. So basically, if you put all the pages together, I think it's closer to seven issues or eight issues worth of uh, of material. So uh, it, it was a lot of work, and we had to do it really fast in some months. But everybody's been great. I mean, Andy's been supporting as uh, as his role. You know, as an editor, he just gave me all the the support that he could give me, uh, considering the time frame that we had to do the issues. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's something that I'm I'm really proud of because we managed to um, give some vitality back to characters that were, I wouldn't say forgotten, but still, you know, you haven't seen something like this in quite a long time since I think that the the last cosmic saga uh, it was it was a long time. So and it worked because uh, they're doing a sequel now and they uh, started thinking about revamping all the mystical characters now. So. I guess, I guess you know the hard work that we did paid off at the end. Yes, uh, I, I, um, that's true because it was a, a very well done, the whole thing. Thank you. It was extremely well done. In terms of events, it's my favorite event by by Marvel, and um, and the, 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 there's the sequel now. Uh, so hopefully uh, the sequel will be uh, just as good, and they won't uh, mess it up. Because th- that's oh, really I'm sure the problem. It's be great. But yeah, but th- that's really the problem, uh, isn't it? When you have something that's just so good that people love so much, and then uh, you're kind of always thinking, you know, is it gonna um, be up to it? Is it gonna be um, up to the hype? Well, uh, from somebody that worked on the on the original one, it's uh, something that I hope as well. Because I, I got to tell you, those characters are just uh, they're part of me now. You know, it's. Keith uh, Giffen did a great job, you know, uh, revamping all the all those characters, giving them more depth. I mean, uh, if somebody told me two years ago that I would like a character like Ronan, I would cheer for him, or or the Super Scroll, I would just say, you know, no, you're out of out of your mind. You know, it's never going to happen. But when I was drawing the book, I was like, these characters have a lot to say. Yeah. You know, they have a lot to do, and they haven't been tapped yet. Their potential is still there. So anything they're going to do after Annihilation, I guess it's going to be great. Because there's a lot to do with those characters still. Some of them were just clean slates. You know, so uh, it's all up to their imagination. I, I, I'm, you know, I, <laughs> I have good hopes for the sequel. So I know I'll read it. So how, how was working with Keith? It was, it was great. I mean, Keith uh, gave me some really great stuff to draw. Uh, epic scenes, tons of stuff that uh, you don't usually get in a, in a superhero book. You know, it's it's very rare to draw armies and and millions of, <laughs> of fiends and bugs and strange creatures. At the same time, you know, it was great, but uh, it was really taxing because uh, uh, he started all the scripts uh, saying, "I apologize for what I'm asking you to draw," because there was a lot of work. In the in, in the annihilation book, especially for referencing and uh, designing new characters on the fly, uh, it's something that uh, really taxes you after a while because uh, you spend so so much energy uh, into it. But the story was epic, and uh, as as a reader, I I wanted to know how how it was going to end, so uh, I was curious about it, and that's always a good sign, you know, when when you're working on somebody and on something and you're uh, you're curious about it, 
that's uh, that's something that stays with you for the entire project and gives you energy. So uh, it was great. I mean, uh, <laughs> sometimes I think about it, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do when I actually meet uh, Keith Giffen. I don't know if I'm going to shake his hand or break it, but still, you know, <laughs> I was very, I was very happy. <laughs> By the end, I was very happy. I'm 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 guessing that it's um, and you said it yourself um, easier to work with um, Laura than um, anyone else, right? Yeah, yeah. If we can, we always work together. Yeah, because um, at the, at this point we've reached um, a good feeling with each other. You know, with the work, I know what she's going to do colors, and she knows what I want to see uh, on the page. And sometimes she just comes up with stuff that that you know I could never imagine color wise, and just nails it, just nails it. And the great thing is that working this way, I mean, at pencil, ink, and she colors. Uh, we can actually be pretty fast because uh, usually you have three people, and uh, and the page has to go all around the world, you know, with uh, FedEx and uh, and stuff like that, and you lose time. And uh, the way it works usually is that the colorist gets uh, slammed at the end of the the deadline with like uh, all the book to color in five days or a week. Uh, with our with the with our work method, that never happens. I mean, I finish a page, I give it to her, and, uh, and that's it. You know, she colors it the same day, so she has all the time to think about it and and try to find uh, the right special effects, especially in a, in a book like Annihilation, that took a lot from her special effects wise, because she had to deal with uh, so many different powers, and uh, each one of them had to be very specific, you know, because they were related to a specific character. So. Uh, she thinks about stuff that I, that I usually don't because uh, uh, these days with Photoshop, you can actually put something on the page that uh, you can never do with a pencil. Like uh, you can do all the Kirby dots and energy tendrils you like, but when you start working with Photoshop, you get all kinds of splendid stuff that you wouldn't be able to do with a pencil. And she does, she does that very well. So I'm very happy. Let's talk about projects. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, if you could have your pick, what would you do? Uh, that's a tough question. <laughs> right now, I think that if I could pick, uh, I would work on Conan. Uh, I would love for Marvel to buy the rights back from Dark Horse and just <laughs> have a shot at it. Uh, I know it's never going to happen, not now, but still, you know, it's, that's the character that I want to do. And... Uh, uh, not only that, I, I really enjoy working on uh, on tour because of the fantasy elements. Um, I always love to draw, you know, swords and shields and armies and monsters and stuff like that. Uh, about uh, heroes, actually, uh, I'm pretty lucky right now because um, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on a project that uh, deals with characters that I always always wanted to draw, and that's the X Men and the Hulk. So. I'm pretty happy, you know. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get one of my, one of my dreams come true pretty soon. That's right. We'll we'll get to that for a little bit. But before that, mm -hmm. you you did, um, I suppose it's done because it's coming out in April. You did uh, Heralds mm -hmm. of Galactus. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That that was relaxing. It was you and Scott Collins, right? Uh, yeah. I think I think yeah. Collins is, uh, has done the the other part of the book. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's two stories. I did the Silver Surfer one, and uh, supposedly there's um, 
uh, Fire Lord. Fire Lord, one. that's right. And that's still Laura, and that's still Keith. And uh, with the, the great Gabriel Delato still doing the covers. Oh, yeah. Amazing, amazing. covers, yes. And now you're going to do the the tie-ins for X-Men, the the miniseries for X-Men for the World War Hulk, with uh, yeah. Crystal's Gage, right? Yeah, it's going to be the the first time that that we work together, and uh, I'm actually working on the on the book right now on the first issue, and uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's going to be it's going to be everything that the fans wanted from a Hulk X-Men encounter. So. And uh, there's a pretty big chance that I'm going to be drawing pretty much all the X-Men, all of them. So it's going to be a big thing. I'm very, I'm very excited about it right now. And uh, I don't know who's, uh, who's providing the covers. I think it's uh, Ed McGuinness. It I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that the covers are going to kick ass as usual. And uh, I'm pretty lucky about that. So uh, what can you tell us about the story? Can you tell us anything? Well... Uh, for starters, it's going to deal with uh, uh, the fallout from uh, Civil War with the Illuminati. I think it's the the group that uh, Xavier and uh, yeah, uh, Black Bolt, Namor, yeah. uh, Iron Man, and uh, Reed Richards are part of. And basically, they're responsible for sending the Hulk into space, That's right. uh, where he's been for the last year, I think. And uh, without spoiling too much, he comes back and is not happy about it. And uh, he's on a quest for vengeance, basically. And with the X-Men, uh, <clears throat> the books are going to deal with, uh, with the fact that Xavier uh, wasn't there at that time when the meeting was had about, about the Hulk. When the Illuminati decided uh, to send him into space, Xavier wasn't there. So uh, the Hulk is curious <laughs> about Xavier's answer. Would he have said yes or no? And let's just say that uh, you know the Hulk. He, he's not good at dealing with uh, subtlety and questions. <laughs> so his way of asking the question is going to be <laughs> what we have to deal with in the three-issue miniseries. Yeah, that's, he, he's not very good with words. Um, no. <laughs> how many issues is it? It's going to be three issues. And mm-hmm. um, so that will wrap up around, let's say, August. Uh, if it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And do you have anything planned beyond that? Uh, beyond that, not yet, because uh, uh, I like to tackle projects uh, one at a time. I just started this one, so uh, we'll see how this one goes and uh, what Marvel decides to do, because uh, I think August or September, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be uh, the end of my exclusive contract with them. So uh, we'll see if they want to keep me around. Uh, what's going to be, you know, my next project? It's all it's all up in the air right now, <laughs> but I'm sure that I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun, whatever it is, because I've been spoiled since I started with Marvel. <laughs> they gave me all all projects that I wanted to do, so <laughs> I'm very lucky. Yeah, it was a shame about the thing, because the thing um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it wasn't selling well, but it was uh, I think uh, the, the, one of the best books they had at the moment. Uh, it was very Thank funny. Very yeah, it was very funny. It was very, very um, a good book, a all-around great book. And it's just, it, it it was a shame when they just ended it. But uh, thank you. Uh, it's it's been really sad for me and Dan's lot as well and Laura because we were having so much fun on that book. You know, it was uh, was so old-fashioned. You know, uh, we were looking around at other books and pretty much everything was dealing with drama and. Uh, Deaths and uh, 
big crossovers with, with uh, I don't know, uh, too many dark things going around. And uh, we were just happy to deal with a book that wasn't, wasn't going to go there, you know. And uh, it was just uh, a fun adventure book. And uh, we haven't seen something like that. We haven't been seeing something like that for years since uh, Marvel Team-Up. That's the other thing that was really great about the book, that we were having uh, so, many, so many guest uh, superheroes, uh, like uh, Spider-Man and uh, the X-Men. We, we were going to have a lot of stuff planned, uh, but it didn't work. You know, it's, it happens because the, the market was so uh, flooded with uh, Fantastic Four books at that time. I think there were five, five different Fantastic Four books on the market. And there was just an, not enough audience, I think. But uh, but it was good until it lasted. We had a lot of fun, and it was it was very hard to let it go. Uh, jumping on Annihilation has been great, but I've been really bummed out for for the first two three weeks when I started this. <laughs> I wasn't finished, you know. I wanted to tell more stories about the thing that I couldn't. So that was pretty much what happened. But it, it it seems to be a cycle, uh, doesn't it? Because they're, 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 uh, somehow along the way, um, they, they they thought, okay, we're gonna do more uh, event oriented, you know, continuity uh, guided books mm-hmm. instead of just plain old fashioned fun comics. And yeah. and then, but it seems to be a cycle because they come back once in a while. Kirkman was doing the Marvel team up. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Amazing Spider Girl is still one of the funniest, and it's and but then comes a big event that changes things. Mm-hmm. People get wrapped up in yeah. uh, in the event uh, that you know creates uh, more more comics from the same teams. Uh, we now have like instead of one Avengers book, we have three. Uh, yeah. And, right. Uh, Mighty Avengers, the the initiative being an ongoing. Uh, I mean, it's. It's it's a lot of books, and they change it because it w- there were there were a lot of Fantastic Four books. Now uh, there aren't, and uh, mm-hmm. Spider Man is the books continue to sell, but it, it, mm-hmm. it, I think it's a cycle because then things go, you know, they just uh, quiet down a little. People want fun again, yeah. and then they yeah. have to do it all over again. I really hope that that you know uh, that I mean I can see. Uh, your point of view, I guess that the hardest thing for us was that we were really um, in love with that character. I mean, Ben Grimm was one of my favorite characters. He still is. And uh, it was so, so much, there was so much passion into that book. I mean, Dan Slott uh, is hands down one of the best writers in the market today. And the great thing about him is that he knows Marvel continuity like no one else. I mean, since Mark Greenwald died, I mean, Dan Slott is like the new book of knowledge. He knows all the little obscure characters from Marvel history, and we have a big plan of uh, using all the <laughs> all the C list and D list and <laughs> and you know what characters uh, in the book just to just to make it more fun. Yeah, you know? they they tend and, to be more uh, fun. Just because you don't have to deal with the icons, you know That's what right. I mean? It, yeah. Sometimes it it's always frightening when you have to deal with uh, I don't know. Uh, Wolverine or or Spider-Man because they have so much history behind them that uh, you got to be careful how you use them. And uh, with with the thing, we could even you know use them for two or three panels and that was it. But 
it was funny, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, we really I, enjoyed I it. Know, I know what you mean, Be- because you still have, and I, I actually can't believe I forgot to mention it, but uh, it, you still have like the Marvel Adventures line, uh, which... Mm-hmm. Um, has uh, a, a lot of great books, and they are extremely funny. Uh, Vince had the chance to interview uh, Mr. Fred Valenti, who uh, was uh, writing um, Marvel Ventures, and um, and he does amazing work, and he's very funny. But you all, you kind of think this is great, but it's still Spider-Man, uh, it's still Fantastic Four, and this was just the thing, and that was yeah, that's what was just so great about it. And uh, and it, it was a shame. It really was. Yeah. Well, you know, you never know. <laughs> we might we might come back. Ah, know, that would be awesome. Years from now, maybe maybe we'll get the chance to do it all over again, and uh, maybe we'll make it work this time. And uh, you never know. But uh, right now, you know, we we all remember that project as one of the fondest ones, fondest memories we have. So that's that's a, a great thing per se. You know. Did I? I don't know if you were. Um, if you were following Civil War, mm-hmm. um, oh yeah, oh okay, good. Because <laughs> the thing is, a lot of people we talk to uh, are so busy with doing comics that they don't have that much time to read comics, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, and of course that is completely understandable. Uh, so uh, they uh, they tend to not uh, when you don't have much time, um, one, one tends to not go into the big events. Because they would have to read a lot, spend a lot of time, and, and that would, you know, be in conflict with uh, your, you know, day. But uh, you, I, I, I was asking because um, there's this issue by of Fantastic Four, focused on the thing by Straczynski, that I was mm-hmm. wondering if you read it. Oh, no, no. For uh, Civil War, just focused on the main event, because uh, Steve McNeven was uh, penciling it. And since we're buddies, you know, I never miss one of his books. So I just focused on the main thing. And what, what was that about on the thing? Well, um, the basically it it was one of the tie-ins for Fantastic Four, and uh, mm-hmm. it was the last uh, the last issue of Fantastic Four that uh, Straczynski uh, did. And he focused on the thing. Yeah, I think it was five forty-two. I I could be wrong, but I think it was five forty-two, and uh, it, it basically focused on the thing in the middle of Civil War. The thing just says, okay, enough, and goes to France. <laughs> Fighting alongside this kind of uh, Justice league kind of team uh, with uh, <laughs> f- uh, funny names, funny costumes, uh, and, uh, and it was just, uh, it, it was this kind of breath of fresh air. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was interesting to be the thing to, to bring us that. The, the great thing about uh, a character like Ben Grimm is that, for instance, uh, we then we decided at the end, uh, at the beginning of our run, on the thing that we wanted to have uh, as many uh, one-issue story as we could, you know, like no no two-parters, no three-parters, no five-parters. You know, we just wanted to tell like it was years ago. You know, that's the story. It begins, it ends in the in the same book, and. Uh, I think that Ben Grimm is one of those characters you can do that more more easily, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't have to uh, carry around a lot of uh, supporting cast, you know. He's <laughs> he's big enough to fill a book by himself. The the sad thing is that 
uh, a lot of people see that character as uh, a member of the Fantastic Four, and that's it. But you can actually have uh, pretty great adventures with a uh, with a character like that because uh, he's very deep. You can have the the funny story or the drama story because let's not forget about the fact that he's a monster that's and right. he doesn't want to be that way. So uh, I think he's one of those characters that uh, can suit. Uh, your needs. Uh, if you want to write a story, uh, you can have a few characters that are uh, as good as that one. So that's what Dan was loving about the characters, uh, the, the the thing, because uh, he, he could tell any kind of story he had in mind without worrying too much. So I think he's one of the, the most valuable characters that Marvel has. When can, you know, the, the fans of uh, Vito fin finally see him back in the States? <laughs> that that depends. <laughs> I'm gonna be back next year, uh, for sure. Uh, if if uh, things are still this way, because uh, um, uh, we're actually trying to figure out a lot of things. Uh, we're actually starting our family, so it all depends on timing. But uh, I'm definitely gonna be. Uh, back in the States next year, probably for San Diego, we're going to take the big trip and uh, take the, you know, the chance to see old friends that we, have, that we haven't seen for the past, my God, four years. It's been, it's been a long time. And uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, next year, <laughs> for sure. Well, congratulations on the family. Thank uh, you very much. First of all, and uh, San Diego, well, uh, I, I, I have to say, I, w I was going to go to San Diego this year. I changed my mind on the spot uh, when I met the, the Bullpen Boltons guys and decided to go to New York and then Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was my first con. It was For me, it was crazy. Because from someone that yeah, I, lives in Portugal, when cons are <clears throat> something like... Uh, minimal. It's it's just uh, uh, basically a, a room, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And so to go to the New York Comic Con it was completely insane for me. I'm guessing you know in Italy is kind of different. Do you do you have the cons? Yeah, we we do have some, and they're uh, very small compared to you know San Diego or New York. Uh, one of them actually is uh, it's very old, uh, and it's in Lucca. It's a small town in uh, Tuscany. And it's such a gorgeous place to have a convention. It's like a medieval town with, uh, you know, ancient walls and torches. And uh, it's just beautiful. And we went there this year. And uh, we had a lot of fun with friends. And we didn't go there to work. Because uh, <laughs> since uh, when I was in the U.S., uh, conventions for me meant work. So I didn't really enjoy them as much as I would. But now I can go back and just be, you know, a tourist and uh, just a comic book fan. So it's, I'm really looking forward to that. Maybe we're going to meet in uh, in San Diego. I, I, I'm I'm guessing there must be one going on right now. I mean, I, I think Bendis uh, was in uh, in Italy or is in Italy mm -hmm. for a con. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people coming here actually, you know. And uh, Steve McNeven is going to be here uh, uh, next month. He's actually going to stay with me for uh, two weeks. So we're going to tour some a couple of conventions in Italy together, and it's going to be fun. And it's always nice, you know, because uh, uh, it's a rare event to get uh, American superstars for comic books coming coming in Italy. But lately, it's been, you know, better. <laughs> All right, I, I bet. Uh, we, in our cons, we, we have um, a few stars with just European comics. 
which uh, it's kind of hard because the comic book industry in Portugal is not that nice. It's not that easy. Um, oh. It's it's very hard to get into, or it's it's very very hard. There are mainly um, w what's done here is mainly like uh, books, comic books, uh, focused on specific stories for mm -hmm. helping kids learn about specific periods in Portugal. Portuguese history or, you know, French history or whatever they have to study in school. I see. Uh -huh. So, you I know, see. not really creative, free creative work. Well, things, you know, as you said, things change. Maybe, oh, maybe you so. know, something's going to happen. Because uh, Italy, too, I mean, we have comic books, but they're really different. And uh, actually, there's just one big pub publisher, and all the others have to deal with uh, the crumbs of the market. But uh, those books, I couldn't really get into them because they're always focused on, as you said, you know, it's a specific kind of book, like it's a horror book or a spy book or a sci-fi book. And uh, they get stale after a while. And the biggest difference with the American ones is that, uh, for instance, here, the writer has total control of the book. Uh, scripts in Italy are very detailed. Every panel... Uh, is um, written down and uh, they choose the angle for the view and basically it's a uh, it's a very tough job to be a penciler here because you're you're always subjected to somebody else's vision of a panel or a page while in America you're more uh, free to basically uh, do what you have to do what you want to to tell the story as best as you can so I prefer, I, prefer, I prefer the American storytelling technique to the Italian one. But, you know, it's, uh, it's gonna, it, this, this world is getting bigger and bigger. And uh, we're having the chance of talking with people that are on the other side of the world in an instant. So cultures will merge and stuff will happen. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Portugal, you know, for <laughs> better comics. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know about that, but I, I'm hoping, but uh, I don't know. Let's hope so. But well, I I I guess we're done. I mean, we covered. All right. It was it was great having you. It was great talking to you. Because finally, I just I was you know weeks and weeks of waiting, but uh. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, it was great having you. Uh, I just uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So is Vince. So is David. And, uh, Thank and, you very and much. We would love to have you back at any time, and hopefully next time you'll get to talk to them too, and uh, they'll okay. ask you all the questions that they want if you want to. And uh, Vince is yeah. the 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 you know the real great connoisseur of art that we have, and <laughs> so he'll have he'll it's it'll be great for him to talk to you. Okay, I'm looking forward to that then. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, so you very much. much. Have, have, it was very nice talking to you. Oh, see, so you, <laughs> you're, in, you're into that preparation thing. Just pick yeah, five. Nobody, which is, which nobody is, will remember. the complete yeah. opposite of what this podcast is all about. Yes, but I would. Well, <laughs> definitely the new frontier. Okay. That, 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 that is definitely one. Copycat. Um, yeah, I'm Skippy. Oh, if you're going to copy from the give you the... Uh, Son of a bitch. Oh, shit. See, <laughs> I've, pick, I've been picking up, like, a couple... Um, um, Runaways. I, volume one. I I, uh, I read that recently, and that was really, that was a lot. It was different and better than anything that I was expecting. Um, 
it's an original graphic novel, so I can't call it a collection, but one of the last hardcovers that I read recently was Pride of Baghdad, but we can't mention that because it's not a collection, but I will say... But you already um, did. I did. It's like a top of the stack. But uh, <laughs> the uh, I have an old leather-bound uh, Frank Miller Batman collection, which includes Batman Year One, Wanted, Santa Claus, Dead or Alive, and The Dark Knight Returns. I love that edition. I love that whole packaging of that of, of, I have that of those too. stories. That is great with the bookmark and everything and the gilded pages. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's New Frontier Runaways, Batman. So two more. Holy shit! Um, wow. I I do have the absolute. Watchmen, which I've been reading, and I think they did a fabulous job packaging that. I love the paper on that. I love the oversize. Um, I'm tempted to say the new X-Men on the bus, but a lot of that is... There's some hit-or-miss stuff in there as far as the artwork goes, so I'm not going to. So, I I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to have to... Number five will be a player to be named later. Wh- okay. Witchblade Compendium? Oh, the manga Witchblade. There we go. Hey, I ordered that. Shut up. Oh, you did. That's why I had to say it. Oh, did you see? I I couldn't help myself. Boobies. She had, her ass is sticking out in half of them and That's her boobs. Oh, oh, and I she's love, I love and she's ass. No, no, she's got the little schoolgirl outfit on in half of it. I had to order it. I I'm sorry. All right, Chad. I'm Chris <laughs> no. Hansen from Dateline NBC. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted uh, to be friends with the 14-year-old. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love my Eternals omnibus. Mm-hmm. I sleep with um, <laughs> I'm doing things to it right now. Is that why you're laughing? I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah. I um, thought you were, you were gutting a fish. <laughs> yeah, any port in a storm. Uh, Marvel's 10th anniversary edition. Wow. Um, oh, I, just, uh, I have that, too. I haven't read it yet. I love that. Uh, Batman Year One, Mazzuccelli, uh, Miller. Um, these are just my favorites, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out Dark Knight and Watchmen because everybody kind of likes those. But but um, um, only the posers. Yeah. Any of the Hellboy collections? I, I, I got all those. I have to have those. How many? What am I up to? Four or five? Nobody's keeping count. Yeah, really. Yeah, keep <laughs> Everybody's drinking coffee right now. And um, I really like The Hulk Gray by uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Oh, yeah. I got the hardcover of that. Really like that. So, And uh, the only other one I would say is uh, I like uh, The Trinity Thing by Matt Wagner. Matt Wagner, nice. Yeah, I have a single yeah. issue, so I can't even yeah. say that. But that was amazing. That, that's, that was an awesome, awesome book there. There's some good choices on that. Yeah. I agree with all of them. Yeah, they're Thanks all good. Much. All good choices. Mm. What about you, Vince? Oh boy! Uh, well, Fourth World, Mandy. Uh, uh, no, no, no! Fantastic Four. I'd I'd have to be an idiot not to say Watchmen, but I I you know, and I'm just not lumping it in with you guys. I I really think Watchmen is up there as far as what can be done with the medium. It's it's just a fantastic work, and it's flawless. Basically, I I love every page of it. Dave Gibbons did some just mind-bogglingly sophisticated layouts in that mm-hmm. for for a nine panel grid he just pushed it to the limit i i love watchmen so watchmen's in there i also have to say snakes and ladders the book that alan moore did with eddie campbell it collects the birth call and um snakes and ladders 
for a bunch of reasons that don't normally apply to a Marvel podcast. I think it's just superbly written. It's a dense piece of of work. You can't just sit down and read Snakes and Ladders. Every time you read it, it, it reveals something else. So I have to put Snakes and Ladders in there. I would say Gary Panther's Jimbo volume that came out from Raw. Uh, geez, it must be 20 years now. I, I love Gary Panther, and I think Jimbo is some great stuff. But again, see, a lot of my choices aren't going to be Marvel. You so which you, you guys are backing me into a corner here. Uh, I'm to say Brat Pack. That's three. I love Brat Brat Pack, but I would I would pick the one over Brat Pack. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely, Commandy Archives Volume One. Yeah. That to me is as good as comics are ever going to get. That's all I could say about it. it. It's the master of the medium. Just. They took the leash off and said, let him do whatever he wanted to do, and it shows. Commandy is the most dynamic, entertaining, just pedal-to-the-metal comic I've ever read. I can tell you pretty much what's on every page of every issue because I've spent a lot of time staring at that artwork. And uh, it's almost a part of me. Does that sound weird? No. No. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, there's a little bit of the last boy on earth in me, and uh, that title has shaped my opinions of comics for 30-plus years, and I guess that's saying a lot. And what was that, four? I don't know. Is it? Yeah. Uh, well, let's say I was listening. The one... Watchmen. What was the, yeah. Did you give the one? You, uh, Snakes yeah, and Ladders. Uh, no, I, I didn't, I didn't say the one. I, one more. Uh... I just ordered the one, the Rick Beach. Yeah, oh, it was the, in last month's previews, yeah. Yeah, the one is brilliant. Excellent. It's amazing. I remember when Epic had, had, the, uh, had the issues solicited years ago, but I, I'm going to try to find the trade in, uh, in Chicago. Oh, and I almost bought it from him, from uh, Rick Beach in, in New, New York. York. Yeah. But I, bought, I ended up buying uh, Max now? Oh, okay. No, oh, Guano. I, yeah, Max is great, too. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's, if there was ever a underrated comic book artist and writer combined, I mean, it's Rick Feach. The guy does not get his due. Every one of his books are totally different from the last one, but they're all just amazing. Well, I can't, I can't wait to get the, my DCBS shipment only so I can read the second issue of uh, Army at Love. Yeah, uh, yeah, good title. It is really it, good. I enjoyed the first issue a lot. Yeah, I, I that was one of my. Uh, top of the stacks. Yes, it was. You know what? I, I was going to say, let's get Veach in there, because I love Veach, and I also love Steve Bissett, late, late of Swamp Thing and Taboo, and I was going to say Fantastic Four Omnibus, the first one, but I, I threw Jack in with Commandy, so, you know, there, Jackal, he has, Jack has his part, but I'm going to say 1941, the graphic novel that Bissett did with Veach. Have you ever seen that? Hmm. I, I, I know of it, but I don't. I've never read it. Nineteen forty-one is brilliant, and it's it's part. It's all comics, but there's it's part standard comics illustration where they you know there's panels, but there's part of it that's almost collage where they just pasted shit to the page and just it, it's it's mind-boggling the execution. And rumor has it, I think there's the legend has it that. 
the people in charge of producing that graphic novel did not know what they were going to get when Veach and Bissett handed that thing in. <laughs> they they thought they were going to get a by-the-numbers comic book adaptation of the movie, and that's not what 1941 is. <laughs> it is all over the place. Um, it, it's some of the most uh, just fucked up <laughs> comics you'll ever see, and it is great. I love it. I bought it from... Uh, heavy metal books published it uh, back in the day, and I have like three copies of it because the the first two are just all dog eared and worn out, and I have one mint one. It's a great graphic novel. It's beautiful. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll throw Veach in with 1941. Oh, cool. uh, there you go. Eclectic. Hey, this is Braxton with a uh, brief brief impression of uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil. <clears throat> This is him right after, let me set the this, this stage, give you a setting. This is him right after a big court case. He just won it. He's at the local bar downtown, and there's a beautiful blonde right to uh, his left, sitting at the bar. All right, scene starting now. <clears throat> hey, bartender, I'll take another another round, please. Hey, how you doing? I'm Matt Murdock. Uh... You know, you smell like the wildest of roses. You want to see a trick? Hand me that bottle cap. Watch this. What do you think of that? What do you think of that, huh? Yeah, I'm blind. I'm blind. You read Braille? Huh? That's it. Sal, do you want to just rattle off five quick ones? Uh... Sure. Um, I would. I would have to put on my list uh, Dark Knight Returns because I've I've read that trade more than probably any other trade, uh, and it's one of the few books that I've actually uh, I wore out because uh, I read it so much. So I, I probably my favorite um, comic ever is Dark Knight Returns. Um, what else? Uh, uh, probably, if they ever come out with it, um, the uh, uh, American Flag Compendium that's been <laughs> on Amazon for five years. If that ever comes out, I'm sure it'll be on my list because uh, I'm a huge American Flag fan. Probably um, Mage. Oh, yes, sir. Matt Wagner. <laughs> ah, uh, if you weren't already married. Pro- that was one of the... Like defining books of my youth that changed my opinions on comics, Shit, yeah, and just opened my eyes up to what comics could be beyond that. And American Flag, those two books, more than anything, uh, when I was younger, really expanded my uh, view of comics. Jeez, what else? I'm sure this is completely different than the list I picked when when Chris was on the show, but um, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it it does change. I mean, my you know your taste and, it, and it's it's. I mean, it hasn't been a year, but it's it's been a lot of months. So I mean, there's also been yeah. a lot of stuff that old and new that's been released. I mean, you have the UC archives. You have all these titles that have that have come out since then. Yeah, I, I'd I'd have to. I mean, I would absolutely have to put um, Alan Moore on there somewhere. But you know, I mean, Watchmen obviously is you know a superb work. Um, for me, the second Animal uh, Man trade for Morrison is is I don't know the third. I think it's the third one, Ex Machina. 
Uh, Does that go up to issue 24? I think so. Yeah. That's a great book. I think that's the third one of Animal Man I absolutely love. It's hard for me. I don't know. You know, The Right Hand of Doom, Hellboy. <laughs> I mean, just an awesome book. Sin City, the original Sin City. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how I couldn't put that on there. Um, that's like, what, 12 now? You know? <laughs> um, Black Hole. Yeah. Uh, oh, which yeah. is one of the most amazing uh, works of art. I think in comics, uh, I don't know how he does what he does. Uh, so there, I mean, you know, I could come up with fifty, but uh, yeah. And I think I'd have to put, um, I think more recent stuff that I, it's not recent stuff, but more recent that I've uh, read is uh, the EC Archives Tales from the Crypt. Oh yeah, which mm-hmm. is just unbelievable. So there's my top eleven. <laughs> See, and yeah. I can and and. If I had a collected edition of Mage, it would definitely be on it. Well, at least the first, the hero discovered, because I didn't, I didn't think the hero, the, the hero defined was was as great. But I have, sure. it, it's wow. hard for me to to put those in that in that list because I don't have collected right. editions of those stories. So it, it's hard for me to think that okay, well, what have I read that has been collected that I think would make my list of collected editions? I have, I mean, I can tell you what some of my favorite stories were. Yeah, I guess I kind of cheated with that because uh, with that in the American flag, I mean that. I, I guess those aren't technically. No, but uh, it would still be if 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 Shaken ever got on the ball with it and and, and released it, then yes, it would definitely it'd be on my list too. Yeah, I mean, I'd also like to pick Grim Jack or John Sable, things like that. But I I just I I don't have collections of of those stories. Yeah. Right. Waiting for a Ford Fairlane Rock and Roll Detective. <laughs> <laughs> And now, a musical interlude. Lyrics by Citizen Dave. Floppy, 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 floppy. If he hadn't made such a fuss. I probably would have never used the word again. But since he, and now you, did, I'm going to use it all the time. And I've been giving David nicknames since you were just a glint in the mailman's eyes. I started reading Lost Girls. How is that? How is it? I think it's amazing. And I, I think he's doing himself a disservice when he he says it's porn because yeah, it it does get pretty juicy at times. But the last chapter of the first volume is flat out brilliant. Wow! And way beyond porn. Just he he ties five different threads together and defines all three characters in a way that is just amazing. They're in the opera house and there's a play going on. And he takes the theme of the play, what the characters are actually doing in the play, his three main characters in the audience, and what they're doing, and their past, and their individual stories, and he brings everything together in like whatever, how many pages the last chapter is, like say 12 at the most, maybe 16. The guy is just 
ungodly how he writes. I could never expect to do that. Not never in a million years would I have the talent to be able to write like Alan Moore. He defies logic. He really does. Uh, there, there's a, they're sacrificing a virgin in a fertility rite on the stage, and the three main characters are each, well, they're fingering themselves. They're kissing each other, and the men are doing something totally different than the women, and it, you have to read it. It is just amazing. And I, it's probably one of the only writers that you can throw the word brilliant out, and you don't feel like you're you know, overcompensating. It applies to Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I have it. Uh, I started reading it. I haven't uh, gone back to it. It's sitting on my shelf, waiting for me to come back to it. I don't know why I haven't gone back to it. I just haven't been in the mood, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't. I, I'm a huge Alan Moore fan. I I, uh, I, I absolutely love the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from Hell, Watchmen, of course, Promethea. You know. Yeah. Uh, just on and on and on is the list of the stuff that he's done is just unbelievable. But yeah, for whatever reason with the Lost Girls, I you know while I appreciate what he's trying to do with that book, and I can appreciate it for its uh, artistic merit, it's just not something that interests me a whole lot. And I think that's why I haven't gone back to reading it. I don't know. I. I don't know. I, I, I don't even know that I can describe it too much. It's just a matter of I don't necessarily want to read porn. And while I know it's not uh, your typical, you know, pornography, um, it is uh, still porn in one way or the other. Right. And I just uh, I, I'm going to have to force myself at some point to read it just because I, I have to say that I, I did. But... Um, it's just one of those things that's sort of like the white elephant in the room that I'm ignoring at this point. But, yeah, I don't know if that's just me. It, it's a great piece of work. And, and I think the art is deceptive. Initially, you, you can look at it and say, you know, yeah, it, it's okay, but it's, it's not all that detailed and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's, it really is. The, the things that um, Melinda Gebby does with the art whether she was instructed to do it from him or uh, on her own, there's some pretty sophisticated storytelling going on in there. It's, yeah, it's, from what I did see of it, I mean, there was certainly, um, it, it's extremely well thought out. And, oh, yeah. Well, considering they, it took a long time to produce, I guess that <laughs> should be expected. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, there's, there's, and I think, you know, he's had a, a lot of artists that have worked in that way with him. I mean, Watchmen is not Watchmen without without Dave Gibbons. Right. I mean, he just uh, add you know as much storytelling to that as as more. Um, and I think you know from Hell the same thing uh, with Eddie Campbell. You know that book isn't the same with a different artist uh, on it. And and I you know he for whatever reason whether he brings it out of them or uh, inspires them or, or what it is you know something. But he seems to be able to, to get the very best out of other artists that he works with. I, I have yet to encounter an author that could use somebody coming on somebody's shoes as a thematic element, but Alan Moore <laughs> seemed to do it. Well, if anybody can. <laughs> That's right. But, so, yeah, big thumbs up for Lost Girls. Oh, Nah, I'm going to have to go read it. God yeah. damn it. Oh, you'll love it. I suppose. Can I rant? Sure. By all means. You, I, you, not you, really rant. Mini rant. Yeah, you had something. Is it a Vince to s- rant, not rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
No, this just is something that kind of pissed me off, and and it's it's happened back to back months where, uh, unfortunately, Marvel has put out a book that I thought was little more than uh, a way for them to try and and gouge their their customer base, their fan base. Two months ago, they put out the John Romita Jr. Uh, spotlight uh, book, and you know while. I'm sure longtime fans of Romita, you know, enjoyed that book. It's you know what I think it was four ninety nine or five ninety nine, and there was one original piece of work in it, uh, and there were, you know there were some cool you know sketches and and different stuff that hadn't been seen by him before. But you know it just sort of bugged me. But that was okay. I mean it's like okay they're putting you know it's a thing for John Romita Jr. and it's like whatever he you know he he's a phenomenal talent and Marvel should laud him with with uh, honors and, and and stuff so that didn't bother me so much but then just last week uh we got another book out that was a reprint uh of material um the avengers illuminati secret history that i felt was marketed specifically to fool people into buying it and not knowing that it was a reprint of the illuminati issues one and two I know I've talked to a couple of retailers, Mark Beatty at Dark Tower, who ordered a, a bunch of it because he saw it was Bendis and Cho, and it was Avengers Illuminati number one, secret history number one. And so he assumed it was a new book uh, because, you know, Marvel's not one to, to not jump on the opportunity to print a spin off of something that's going on. Uh, hello, Civil War. And, uh,. When he found it, you know, when he got the book, he realized that it was a, a reprint of a bu- uh, of the first two issues, which is fine. I thought it was actually cool that they did that for people that maybe didn't pick up the first two issues because I absolutely loved the first two issues of that book. But I just felt like they didn't really do a good job of explaining to people that this was a reprint of the first two issues. Why was it called Avengers Illuminati Secret History? What secret history? Where, I mean... I don't understand why that title was on the book. That seems to me like they were trying to fool people into thinking it was something original when, in fact, it was there wasn't one page of, of original work in that book. So it bugged me quite a bit that they did that, and then after I found out that the retailers I know had bought it, a bunch of copies of it, and, and now probably won't be able to sell them or may say it, sell a few, but they have to tell their customers or... Or then they don't tell their customers, and their customers get upset. It just seems like a really crappy thing to do with a, with a book that could have been, you know, like I said, I thought a cool thing for people to do, uh, or for Marvel to do for people that may not have picked up those first two issues. So um, that was it. I just, I just, to me, it just really felt like Marvel took taken an, an opportunity to uh, to gouge people and get them to buy something that they already bought. I know people did. I know. I know people bought it that had already bought issues one and two because they didn't know. Because not everybody reads previews. Not everybody goes to news sites. Not everybody, you know, a lot of people just go into their comic shop or, or order something on, on, you know, maybe a previews that they see, you know, not knowing the full information about it. And it just seems like it, it seemed a little underhanded. Well, you know, you're not alone because Marty ordered it. And he pours over the previews and, and online as much as I do. And when he got it, he was like, ah, shit. And I said, you know, what's going on? And he showed me, and he had no idea that it was a reprinting of the first two issues. Yeah, so, I, mean, I, I don't know what the preview 
uh, or, or what the solicitation in previews said. I, I don't know, honestly. I don't have uh, that issue of previews to, yeah. to look up. So I don't know, but I know that there are people that ordered it that, that didn't know. So, and, and just by putting the, the title of Secret History on it, to me that seems like it says, you know, oh, well, this is something new. This is something either a prelude to the first two issues or, you know, something in additional to what's already been published. Yeah, not to defend Marvel, God forbid, but I, I think the the secret history title pretty much describes issues one and two of Illuminati. Nobody else but the five knew about those. Well, that's the whole book, though. That's right, what... right. So I mean, it, it's not an it's not a it is sort of misleading because when you see secret history, you're thinking, okay, this must be something that predates those two issues or kind of fleshes out those two issues more or what has you know what I mean. I agree with you on that, but. In terms of what the book actually is, I think the title "Secret History" pretty much sums it up. So yeah, it's just I, they they didn't really hammer the uh, the idea home that these were reprints. I don't think anyway. It didn't seem like it. I mean, like I said, I didn't know, and I, I know a lot of other people that that didn't have any idea, and, and whether they were retailers or, or customers that bought it, thinking that it was something original. And it just isn't so. Yeah, well, Mark Beatty's a retailer, and he didn't really know. So yeah, he had no idea, and and then you know he had to sit there and tell everybody that picked it up in his shop that hey, just so you know, that's a reprint, uh, because most people that picked it up didn't know either. Well, I think based on based on this, and based on Mark's reaction when you guys asked him about Captain America number twenty five, you know, I, I think you know you can't you can't depend you can't have people. There are channels out there that Marvel has available to Marvel for them to let retailers know what's coming out. They 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 have they have emails. There are you know there's there's a separate department at Marvel specifically designed for this. You can't you can't be a retailer and have to rely on news sites or you know the internet or someone maybe coming into your store hoping that you'll find out that Captain America number 25 is a big deal or the secret history is a reprint for those people that can't get the two sold out issues and that that's twice in a very short amount of time that retailers is burned the right word I mean it's just Marvel has dropped the ball is it how about how about underinformed I would listen yeah yeah I would go with underinformed but I mean even with the direct with the direct market they can't return those so right aren't they mm-hmm. kind of burned don't they end up getting burned if well they they're stuck with them i mean they're certainly right. stuck with those copies if they if they ordered them and, and uh you know i guess i mean I'm, I'm you know to play devil's advocate on it i guess you could say well it's a retailer's job to know that stuff and and to some level that's true i mean yeah. if that's your company it is your job but you know in this instance you know on the cap thing while i understand how retailers were upset with that I can appreciate Marvel wanting to keep it under wraps, and oh, and as a as a fan, I enjoyed the fact that I didn't know something. You know, it was nice to actually get surprised about something like that. Right. Uh, where usually, you know, it's like we know about it three months in advance. So that you know, I let while I can understand retailers wanting to have profited more from that. Um, you know. It's like, well, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. In this instance, it was like, it it really felt like a intentional uh, 
ploy by Marvel to to sell this book um, or or sell more copies of this book by sort of withholding the information in it, uh, you know, what was contained in it, and 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 marketing it in a way that would sort of you know fool people into thinking it was something original. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm you know just no. bitter, but uh, it, it sure had that feel to it, and and uh, I don't know. You know, it, it could just be me, but I, I don't I, think so. You're a pretty smart guy. You, you would have, well, you know, you would have picked up at least on you that. Say so on your own form. <laughs> hey, I tell everybody how smart I am. Uh huh. <laughs> and and in the same vein as Captain America twenty five, isn't there something going around now about New Avengers thirty one? Um, is there? I don't know. What are they, According to Joe Fridays, he said that. Um, well, even the solicit from um, from previews for episode for episode for issue thirty one, it said it is the. Is it something like the most important last page in Avengers history, or you just don't want to miss this last page? And and the cover of thirty one is um, is Ronan stabbing Elektra. Um, but I, but you know, no one even and Joe Q has said that you no, know, he's not going to tell you what the last page is all about. But it's not an issue that you should take lightly. It's not Ronan. Stabbing Electra. Is it Echo or yeah. the hell the it, it yeah, looks... well, it's not the guy Ronin that right, rescue right, right. her with the new Avengers, but Wait, isn't Echo um, dead? No. Well she was, but Electra and the hand brought her back to life and before right. oh, that's Brainwasher, right. that's right. the new Avengers came in. What um, do you guys think not that I, I, I had this conversation with Chris today earlier. Uh what did he say? I, well no, well we were talking Super about Ronin. Right. No, yeah, we were talking about Ronin and like who Ronin and like, well, you know, I could give a shit. It's like I already, I already like followed this bad joke once, and uh, and I don't really care who Ronan is again. But if I had to take a guess, I uh, I said it's Cap. <laughs> but, yeah. And then you, and then and then we get the and then we get the uh, the five page preview from Captain America twenty six with with Marvel Zombie Cap. Yeah. Three bullet yeah. holes in his chest. Uh, did you see the previews for Captain America 26? Yeah, I did. I okay, did. I, I don't think it's Steve Rogers. <laughs> no, it's definitely not Steve oh, Rogers. You, is you, you still think he's going to he's gonna be dead for good? Come on. For a, oh, no, for I did. A, a long, long while, if yeah, not for good. Yeah, uh, I did. They need, they need to keep him dead and for he a won't long be, time. He won't be dead. He won't be dead by the end of the year. Uh, I don't know. Well, all I, I, all I know is that if Joe Q... Buy it. <laughs> okay. he He better... Be serious when he when he says about the last page of uh, New Avengers thirty one because it's he charming. he does not want to mislead retailers after again, Cap- again. yeah, yeah. well at- that was the thing they the way they handled it was oh you know hey this you you may want to order more caps it's a huge event but they say that about but, everything you yeah know, every right. book every but, book but they is were the comparing, biggest event they were telling people to buy as many issues of Cap twenty five as they've been buying of Civil War and right. Well, do you, are you buying the amount of Civil Wars that you've been buying or that you've been selling? Because I'm sure there's still some Civil Wars on the shelf at a lot of comic retailers. So, Well, I mean, and the know, other it, thing is, is from a retailer's perspective, it's like, okay, you're not going to tell me what's going to happen to it. I'm supposed to take on faith that I should maybe triple my order. Right. And then if it doesn't work out, yeah, I'm stuck with 100,000 copies of a book that I can't sell. Yeah, Stan's hyperbole does not work 
in the direct market. It worked no. on the newsstand when they there was zero risk because the the the, the news agents would just strip How the many books. News agents were actually ordering. Like, did they? It's not like the news agents were were being told ahead of time. Okay, do you want fifteen issues of Amazing Spider-Man and fifteen issues of Fantastic? No. No, they were dropped right. off. The comics were dropped off. They put them on the spinner rack, and whatever sold, sold. Right, mm-hmm. but it, it's a different animal these days, where you could break a business by misleading them. And if yeah. you know, yeah. if if Mark at Dark Tower hears that New Avengers thirty one is going to be the be all and end all Avengers history for the the present day, and lowers his order significantly on a bunch of other titles, and you know, pumps up the New Avengers, he could. I mean, realistically, he could lose his business. Sure, absolutely. So you, you have to be careful. Yeah, and what are you what are you supposed to believe? I mean, it's like okay, the biggest event in Avengers history. Didn't I hear that? Wasn't that House of M? Wasn't that the biggest event in <laughs> Avengers history? And wasn't then disassembled? Uh, yeah. Was before that? Wasn't the that? The, so you know, I don't know. I mean, the clones. I, I think you have to try and filter out what's real and what's bullshit and it's like you know how do you do that when you're not getting all the information as a retailer and and i understand you know at the same time it's like i understand marvel's point of view when they you say well you know it's like we don't want to spoil this stuff and as a fan i appreciate that but you know you've set this up through the direct market that you know you're you're screwed either way uh whether you're you know you're either going to spoil it or you're going to have retailers not know what to do, right. and and after after this Avengers book, you're going to have retailers that are upset one way or the other. You know, they're you're going to have retailers that haven't read Joe Friday, you know, right. and and you're going to have retailers that uh, just didn't pay attention to it or whatever, and and are going to be upset if it is huge, and if it's not, you're going to have retailers that have a bunch of books they can't sell. So, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know what the, the answer is for it. I think he should choose his words carefully. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. Mean, you have to. If you can't tr- trust Joe Q, who can you trust, really? <laughs> the, 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 uh, and, and to add some brevity to it, if if I, I would not want Mark Beatty after me or mad at me or <laughs> coming after me in any way, shape, or form. So yeah. you, you, you got to be careful around the man. Yeah, he's, he's a large, large gentleman. But a nice guy. He's a, he's He's... He's a big teddy bear. Oh, I love Mark. He's a good man. And a good re- he's a great retailer, actually. Yeah. He's a he's one of the best comic shop owners I've And ever. and he's probably the and he probably is a retailer that would keep things confidential. If Marvel, you know, sent out or DC sent out a solicitor, or any of the retailer any of the publishers sent out something and says, Okay, for your eyes only, do not let your customers know about this, but this is what happens in this issue. Order heavy. Mark, I'm yeah, sure, would keep you know it to himself. It but but that, you're but, right. You know, there would be some retailers that are going to be like, "Hey, listen, you know. somebody's going to mention it to one of their customers, yep. and then yep. their customers going to go." And, and that's just, and that's it's, a shame. It's inevitable. It's just going to happen. It's, you know. the, the only thing that does it is makes it easier for the online news sites to know who to tap for the information. Yeah, yeah. it'll be somebody at Newsarama will pay. <sighs> well, hey, you know, they're they're the as far as news sites go, they're pretty out there. But they'll pay off somebody and get the information. It's just He just has to pick his words carefully. If the story demands it, then hype it. If not, don't bullshit us, Joe. That's that's all right. we're asking. Just just. Well, and that's the problem. Maybe, you know, hopefully 
you know, hopefully it will be the biggest event in Avengers history. Oh, I hope so. I hope it is. You know, I hope I hope it's not, you know, fucking Ronan's identity is the biggest event in the you know, <laughs> Better not be. Maybe, maybe this time Ronan will be a hermaphrodite. She'll have both of the things going on. It may really wasn't shot. I but, think it's uh, Nick <laughs> it was an LMD that was shot. Yes, yeah, Nick Fury. Yeah, because he's running around going, "Yo, yo, what's up, Cage? Yo, Cage, yo, Cage, what's up?" He's just trying to throw people off. That's it. Yeah, he's uh, he's wearing a uh, African American costume and voice simulator. To uh... <laughs> so, so yeah, so he's, he's got one eye and he's wearing a mask. Yeah, his aim is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Civil War, Fallen Sun, Avengers. Not yeah, yet. Yeah, it's on its way. I looked okay. at it today. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. That's the one with uh, who did the art? McGinnis. 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 Yeah. yeah. Can I spoil just like a little tiny? It's not like a plot. Oh my god. Yeah. In it. It's just like a funny thing that happens. Just me. Don't worry about it. At one part, there's uh, a, b- a bunch of the the uh, mighty Avengers are sitting around pr- playing uh, uh, poker, and one of the people are, are bitching because. Uh, <clears throat> they keep they keep putting their masks on so they can't see their eyes. I just thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> the, the the one thing I immediately noticed is I think Ed McGinnis is starting to draw booty as well as Frank Cho. <laughs> I'm you know what I I think McGinnis it it's like he's like shaking in this regard. It's like the, the stuff I've read. I mean McGinnis did, did some great stuff on Superman, but you know. His his opening the JLA classified three issue arc he did with Morrison I don't think was his finest hour. McGinnis has done some work that you know we 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 we've called it chunky we've called it blocky you know you can call it whatever but bloated yeah but the uh, I the call it story beautiful in Wolverine fifty wasn't bad <laughs> do you I do and, I can't and, I can't take any covers I can't take any artist seriously that you recommend anymore Vince you're so uh, you have you I don't you don't make any sense to me anymore he's booty centric let let David finish and then we'll get back okay. to this no, no, go no, ahead right. I mean no. No, it, was, it was the backup story in, in Wolverine 50 and, and the covers he's been doing recently and I think I think McGinnis is it's like he's he's comfortable I mean I don't I don't have any issues of his Deadpool run when he was with Marvel back in the 90s so I you know I, I don't know how he's grown since the last time he was at Marvel but I'm liking his Marvel stuff now more than I ever did his DC work. I, I would say if you didn't know it was Ed McGinnis in this book, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that it was okay. him. I mean, it doesn't yeah. it didn't look anything like his uh, you know Superman Batman stuff or, or it's a little less cartoony, yeah, uh, um, yeah. than usual. I also think maybe the story called for that though. He draws a beautiful thing. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> he does. Yeah, absolutely. And his Spider Woman. Oh God. Oh, boy. <laughs> the only thing it's missing is the camel toe. But let, let, 
<laughs> of course it is. Let's get back to why Sal can't take my opinion on artists seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, this is just the the last uh, thing that you had said that I I was screaming at my iPod about. Can I guess? Let me guess. Okay, go ahead. Based on what I know about you and your tastes, uh-huh. Ron Friends. No, no. Ooh, it was Ron no okay. It was Ron I wouldn't think it was Ron Friends. No, this was. Um, it was actually, and and it was sort of like you said a couple. Well, here I'll just kind of explain. You, can be in Sky. you were talking. You were talking about um, how you uh, how you couldn't stand, you know, artists that use so much photo reference. Obviously, Greg Land. Yes. Which, by the way, did, did you? Did you enjoy Greg Land's cover on the uh, the uh, uh, man thing? Um, I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, he said he said when it was first released, when it was first, yeah, uh, when I, the image was first leaked, that he says, you know, you want me a thing to be misproportioned, and it's a good thing that there really isn't any photo reference of a walking salad. <laughs> where, do, so. where do I find? Where do I find a mound of? Green yeah. crap. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, fungus <laughs> and moss. And, you know, in in terms of man thing, there have been a, a lot better. Representations, well, but it it, but it, it wasn't it wasn't horrible, right? Did you see the inside, the interior? I have it. I got it today. Oh. As a matter oh. of fact, didn't Ted McKeever do some of it too? I don't know. Dude. I'm, I'm I, pretty. I, just all, I think it was all Klaus Jansen. I think it was all Klaus. Wow, and it was nice. It was. Yes, it was really, really nice. It was some of the the better Klaus stuff that I've seen in 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 previous or in the last few years. I felt, but. Anyway, you were talking about um, uh, obviously Greg Land, how you hate Greg Land, and other artists that you didn't like that used uh, photo reference like Salvador La Roca, and I think you brought up another. Guy oh, okay. <laughs> but then, uh, you, so you you went on, you know, you talked about that for a good you know, twenty-five minutes or so. It was <laughs> not all right. Whatever, it was a few minutes. You were talking about okay. how you couldn't couldn't stand these guys, and then you started talking about other stuff. And about five minutes later, you just it completely ejaculated all over Alex Maleev, and just you couldn't stop talking about how you loved Alex Maleev's art. And I'm sitting there going, "Do you have any idea how many Photoshop filters Alex Maleev's Alex Maleev uses in his in his friggin' Yes, I do know. I believe he would know. <laughs> How can you just rant and rave about one guy using photo reference, and then you have a guy who probably uses as much, if not more, photo reference, but covers it up with filters? But then, you, do you like Alex Maleev? I, I I do. I do like. I Alex I, I think out Alex of any, out of any like Salvador La Roca or or Greg Land. I, I don't think either of them are as talented okay. as Alex Maleev. But on the basis of like using photo reference. I mean, I you there's scenes in like cityscapes that are photographs I've seen. Right, but the reason why I think Alex Maleev is a much more accomplished artist than Greg Land is, Alex Maleev does not use the photo reference as a crutch. He's not bound by it, even though he uses a million Photoshop filters. If if so, he does it in a way that is just it's artsy. There's definite skill in Alex Maleev's work. You could tell the guy is drawing. He, he's mani- I don't know. he's mani- see, I see less, I see less, less drawing in his art. And no, 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 I, no, 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 I like Maleev's stuff, but if, I mean, I think there's less drawing in there than you think there is. In fact, I know for a fact because well, I know guys that have right. Well, then, no Maleev. Maleev does the same thing I do. I do Photoshop eight hours a day. 
at my job. And I, I know what Photoshop is capable of. And for him to pull it off to that extent, even if he, even if he's using, you know, the, uh, the find edges and he's just letting the machine do the work for him, he's doing it in a way that makes me say, that was a damn good story. He's telling stories. He's, he's, uh, let me put it this way. Greg Land has a piece of photo reference or whoever uses photo references as a crutch. And this photo reference determines the composition of the panel. Not so with Alex Maleev. Alex Maleev makes his reference work within that panel the way he wants it to work. It's it's the opposite. So he's he's got he's just better at research. No. No, he has he has a better eye. This has nothing it has nothing the to do with it. He's in. got the a bigger... Comes in because he's able to use it to tell the story. Like Vince said, it flows. Whereas the actual... You see, hey, man, I jerked off to her last month in Playboy. It kind of stops the story. Well, and, you, know, you know what I mean? It, and, and there's... You know, I, I understand. Right. I mean, well, I, there's, Obviously, part of this is just me giving Vince a hard time. Well, this is cool because... I, it, was just, it was just like, I mean, as much as you hate guys like Land... I don't, I don't hate him. Well, it needs to be less obvious. Yeah, and and there's <laughs> one thing you can say about Alex Maleev's work. It's it's nowhere near it. You can never attach the word stiff to Alex Maleev's work because right. it, it's not. It just it's very cinematic and it flows and it's gritty and you. Everybody's it, in proportion. Like like in yeah. in the confession I mentioned, that I can actually believe that Tony Stark is wearing that armor. Whereas if I'm flipping through Ultimate Power and Vince was talking about the, the misproportion in Sue's body or the Serpent Squad or Society or whatever the hell the women were called. It's like, you know, it, it, because he's relying so much on the photo reference for the faces, it's like the anatomy, the perspective is just all off and all wonky. I don't need to see Christopher Atkins from the Blue Lagoon yeah. fighting, you know, saying Flame On or, or you know, seeing Jamie Foxx as ultimate Nick Fury, I can I can do without these things. These things do take me out of the story. They're he uses the 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 reference because it becomes a constraint. Where if you looked at that double page spread in the confession where Alex Maleev did that battle scene, yes. that's the work of an artist. I don't give a shit how much reference is in there or if he he cobbled it together from from cutouts of old magazines. That is a spectacular piece of work. You know, All right. No, I, I understand where, <laughs> what you're getting at, and and you know, to a, to a, you're right. Alex Maleev does a lot of reference, but man, he makes it work. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more. I, just, I I want you to say more. Come on, let's yeah, roll, no. baby. Oh, it's just I don't. It, it, I, I, don't get me wrong. I like Maleev, but it's just like I I like uh, I don't you know despise Greg Land's work. I kind of like a lot of what it does and i and i also see the flaws in it that you guys point out i i but i don't let it sort of uh destroy my <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately though that's but that's the thing though like comics are a visual medium it's like i can't i can read the words and well, yeah, but i'm looking at the picture it, but, and it's like why it's, is a picture of you're telling me you have in in the however many years that you've read comics you haven't read comics that uh didn't necessarily I mean, you're talking about stuff that isn't supposed to look realistic yet. I don't know what you know. What I mean, like Jack Kirby, and I'm not going to harp on Jack Kirby, but Jack wasn't using. We won't allow it. <laughs> well, Jack, Jack, Jack wasn't using you know anatomy. Right. Uh, he 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 invented his own anatomy to be dynamic. That's right. To, so how come that doesn't take you out of a story? Because it doesn't look like 
an actor? No, it's because a, it's because there's 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 some um, there's some consistency to it. Yeah, I'm 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 getting it. Page well, in, page consistent. out, panel in, panel. Oh yeah, land, yeah, land, land, yeah, land is no, but it's like it's like wow, that's that that's a great looking that's a great looking rock in the background, and it, it's. Well, just, I it, think I think the thing was just sort of like the degree of separation between like land and Malieve, and like I don't see that big of a separation. Oh, there's. Well, I, I, but 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 Sal, I also don't see what his what what, what his uh what his issue is with Perez, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, honestly, um, I I'm not uh, I uh, am not the biggest Perez fan. I myself. was. I'm. I'm. I. To me, Perez is early '80s with the New Teen Titans. To me, that's that. That's the and and the Justice League of America, the Satellite mm-hmm. Era. That's George Perez to me. I. I when. Um, and 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 to and his early Wonder Woman stuff, but after that, like his 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 new stuff or his JLA Avengers or the Brave and the Bold or even before that with with um, with Crimson Plague, that was that that was a big different George Perez to me. And but I still I, I love the fact of I love what he does to get his work out there. Mm-hmm. I love the detail. I love and it's consistent and it's and it's it, you know. But on in, in that regard, though. Like Vince said, you know, he doesn't need to see every little twinkling star no. in the in, in the sky, just for you to tell the story or to find or to move the page along. You know, sure. it's like, and and that that'll take him out just the same as Jamie Foxx's Ultimate Nick Fury will take uh, me out. I, I I I don't think I could disagree with that. I mean, there's plenty of of George Perez work that I uh, get annoyed with sometimes, Is, and not to criticize his I mean artistic ability. The guy's an amazing penciler and 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 fantastic creative and you know, he, there's no question of his talent, but it's just a matter of sometimes it does. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to stop and stare uh, and <laughs> see every single curl and see yeah. strand of hair. And I know some Supergirl's some head. people some people do. I mean, like I know when you had Dave on and talked about the subject, it's like he, you know, Dave is the kind of guy that you know he will look at a page for 20 minutes or whatever, and that's fine. You know, he's studying it almost as a research, you know, for his art, and I get that. But not everyone. You know, reads a book the same way, and and for me personally, it's like I, and especially at this point in my life, it's like I'm much more impressed with guys that use fewer lines and right. tell better mm-hmm. stories that way. I mean, like Darwin Cook. I think mm-hmm. Darwin Cook's art is amazing. I think it's, you know, his his sort of just plain balls to be able to throw lines down, and the bravery and and just boldness <laughs> of. You know what I mean? Throwing those lines down there, and uh, you know, as as a guy that uh, wishes he could draw anything like that, um, Darwin it amazes me. Darwin Cook is a spawn of Kirby. Sure. Oh, big time! Yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. Hey, don't get me wrong. I'm I, I'm I'm a Kirby fan. I yeah. have the you know. I, there's, there's no question about it. I was just sort of bringing up the other right. I, I mean, like. I, I know, you know, Greg Wang gets so much shit for these photo reference stuff, and it's like, I don't even, like, half the time I don't notice it, I don't even care. It's like, okay, he, you know, that's not what I'm looking at, necessarily, I guess. Um, but I can understand it. I can understand where people are annoyed by it, or that it it has flaws, that his his art has flaws in it. And it was just a matter of, like, you know, <laughs> as bad as, like, you guys ripped on Land and, and La Roca, and then turned around and just like you know jerked off Alex Malieve. I Ooh. it was just funny. We pretty much did. We did. 
Yeah, I, oh, you were going on I, and I, on about Alex Malik. Two hands, baby. He's um, <laughs> big. You know, the, drawing is a visual language, and if the le- I think the less reference you used in a, in a in a work, the closer you get to the artist as a person. Jack probably used zero photo reference. Right. And what you get on a page is pure Kirby. And to sum it up, I guess I'm not all that crazy about the way Greg Land is speaking on the page. That's all I could say. There are people who like it and, you know, hooray for them, but I don't want to listen to that. Yeah, and I'm not trying to defend his artwork. Okay, this is Braxton with a Hank McCoy Beast impression. Starting now. Boom, let's go. Oh, what is this? This must be the square root of infinity. Let me go over here and analyze the saline covering of this object so I can bring it to the professor and look at it. Oh, what is this over here? These women are old. They're trying to grab my blue fur. Must be my pheromones pouring over them. Oh, let me do a backflip over their horny little heads and flip over here. What is this? Get my... Stuff I'm trying to study and put it back over here from these ladies. Oh my god. Alright, that's it. That's it, I'm done. I think I failed on that one, guys. I uh, kind of reverted into a British accent on that. I... <clears throat> I'm going to send this in to you anyway, okay? <laughs> I had a. Not to. I feel like I'm dominating the conversation which i'm sure i am but well you don't get to on your show that's yeah. right you've said more in this episode than you have on the past like 10 <laughs> <laughs> um i had this uh, really great I, I, I don't know if you guys listened to the last our last episode but we, t- we had scotty young uh i finished up. it this morning yeah and uh I absolutely loved scotty young i he was like my law lo- i told him this he was like my long lost half retarded brother and uh, <laughs> you always we, always butter them up, huh? Oh yeah, you know. And uh, and uh, well, he emailed me back and said, "I'm not half retarded. I'm full." But um, <laughs> I had this amazing conversation with him before we uh, started doing the show. We were sitting around uh, eating pizza and and just talking, and we were talking about how uh, he had done that backup story in the uh, the Frankenstein story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys had seen the backup uh, in the. Yes, indeed. Uh, Legion of Monsters. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And it, uh, it was this completely different style for him um, that he was really afraid that his editor was going to hate it or people were going to hate it or think he just lost his you know, mind completely because it was just you know way different and um, I don't want to say easier, but it was like faster for him to do. You know, he was just, he, he, he wasn't like concerned with the details he just sort of like sat down and did it and not wasn't worried about like trying to make it look a certain way and he you know it's like everybody who saw it was blown away by it myself included i really loved it i I thought it was you know just a great departure for him and i thought it was really cool and he was just like kind of you know he couldn't believe that so many people liked it and you know we started talking about it and and i and i kind of mentioned like well do you think it's because you're just to a point where you're so comfortable now that that's more sort of your natural art style you know is that do you think that's more you just you and he sat back and kind of thought about it i said yeah probably you know it's just like i grew up 
looking at certain artists, and that's how I wanted to draw. And you can see the influences in, in you know, like Humberto Ramos is a huge influence of his. He he absolutely loved that guy's work, uh, you know, when he first started out, and and and, um, and so that's what his style is like, and what he's been known, you know, come come to be known as. But now maybe you know this is what his style really is, and I think that's you know, you see those, and and even Mike. Mike Norton had mentioned, you know, that it's like you occasionally get to see an artist um, take that next evolutionary step, and you don't know what causes it. It's like all of a sudden one day they're just like, bam, drawing a completely different thing than they ever did, and it, it blows you away. And that's what he said about Scotty when he saw that those new pages, um, that it was like he took that next step. And I think sometimes it's just like. I think finding your voice as an artist, any kind of artist, is the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. But once you do, it's it's really just the most natural thing. But it it's like the fear of being yourself as an artist is what keeps you away from being yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you and look at his Cable and Deadpool covers, he's running with that style now. Yeah. 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 And it's just so. working. He's knocking them out of the park. Just. It's kind of like Sienkiewicz from Moon Knight to New Mutants. What right. made, what flipped that switch? You, you may never know. But yeah, it, it, it happens. And uh, like you said, Scotty Young, that Frankenstein story was just... I wanted to eat it. It was so good. I, oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, the guy's really talented. And I like it better than his previous style. I, mean, I, I liked his stuff before, but I really hope he continues in this vein because it's much more challenging stuff than than before. Yeah, I and, and I, <laughs> I kind of felt shitty when he came on the show because I had said that before. It's like I wasn't a big fan of his work. I just didn't it didn't care for it. He doesn't care. I mean, it's he's he understands that that not everybody cares for his style. Uh, you know, his more kind of manga-ish or yeah uh, style and and uh, and that. And I I just didn't. It just wasn't my taste. Not that he's not a talented artist, or I thought that he was a bad artist or anything, but it's just not my taste. But um, yeah, the new stuff just I think. Is phenomenal. Yeah, and, and I hope to see more of it. You could see it a little bit on his New Warriors mini. There yeah. was there was a little bit of a change, but nothing like what he's doing now. Good for him. Right. If I had to pick, like, say, a Malieve style artist or Scotty Young, I'd go with the Scotty Young. But for that discussion and for that week, that confession was pretty much the 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 best looking book that came out. So yeah, we gushed. Well, that's all right. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on it though. Oh sure! It, it makes me happy that you actually, you know, care enough, care enough to listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've overstayed our welcome for this episode. We had a lot of, <laughs> you know, what, a lot of ground covered. Button. They can stop it if they have a problem with it. So what, this is just uh, my plot to get your listeners to listen to our show. Oh. I figure if I can make your they show... They probably already do, because they, <laughs> they, 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 they need something to cleanse the palate after they're done listening to this. So. Listen, listen to him. Get get our listeners to listen to his show. Like, he doesn't have three times as many people. <laughs> if I can just get them bored enough after listening to me drone a lot, you know, I'll just go on and on and on, then they'll turn it off and, and maybe find our show. So that oh. was my we're, we're just using you to get to John Suntra's so. Every, oh every you time, don't want that. tell me, John. <laughs> oh, I love John. We, I would. I love John, but oh boy, I would I kill John. for somebody like John. Yeah. Um, th- I'll tell you the truth. The last time you came on, it still is our highest uh, downloaded show. The last time I came on, mm-hmm. 
No, come yeah. on. Tom didn't have a better response than me. No, Tom never gets a good response. <laughs> Tom's the, Tom's no, focus groups are great. I, I'm I'm totally serious. The show that you appeared, I think it was episode 15, is our most downloaded show. More than the uh, astonishing X Men pair, which was. Which was which which was they they were the two big ones for a long time. We got people to download that. that I don't know where they were coming from, just because uh, of the strength of Joss Whedon's name. But now you're the king. You're you're on our top. Oh, good lord! Yeah. So I'm hoping this one this one spikes too. Well, that's because I'm a shameless promoter, self promoter. I uh, I just go out and pimp myself everywhere. So yeah, we don't do that. We should start. Well, you know that's uh, that's how we became the. Ninety eighth uh, top podcast on Lipson's top one hundred list, my friend. It's <laughs> that's not easy. Yeah, that's it's... all bullshit too. Like that, <laughs> that, yeah. that 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 stupid. Um, well, what is that thing that we do? Podcast Alley. That's all crap. Who cares? You oh, know, you you guys, I, you guys I, put out. <laughs> I I'm not going to say that. You you put <laughs> you put out the best show on the planet, and that's all that matters. Well, I appreciate that. I don't. Uh, I, I can't agree with you, but uh, but I do appreciate the kindness you guys have always, always, always given us. And, yeah. You know, it's it. I one of my favorite things about the the fact that we ever started a show was meeting you guys and 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 calling you two friends because yay. Uh, uh, you know that uh, I in all and I told Chris this earlier. Uh, I said more than anything I'm looking forward to Wizard World Chicago is seeing you guys again because I, I you know I didn't really get to hang out with you guys in New York and, and no uh, you know we were working so much stole my jacket but yeah that was pretty much uh, <laughs> I did steal your jacket <laughs> I, gave I kept it them warm that week yes you did but I didn't get to, we didn't get to like hang out and really yeah you know, no. you're right that was the bad part about New York everybody was segregated and it was just nah well you guys were all business man it was the work 24-7 uh, that was Chris's fault and I almost strangled him for it but uh, <laughs> well, I love I, I love the wrap up with the Satan. You want to you want to share? No, no, <laughs> I won't get away from you. No cab share. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> well, Tom gets like that every Friday night too. <laughs> by by about midnight, he's just done. He's he's had enough. And as you can tell, I'll just keep going. And and uh, he gets like that every night. So you know, that's that DC loner mentality. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're they're off, they're off on their little tiny island. They don't want to. Communicate with other people. Oolong Island. That guy has uh, turned us into like a DC cast, though. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I know. I'm trying to rein it back in. I'm trying. Yeah, okay. I'm trying. Good luck with that. Well, if you made it this far, thank you for being with us. And thank you, Chad Hunt, Inker Extraordinaire. Keep an eye out for his stuff. And thank you. Once again, Mr. Salazar, always a pleasure. Oh, it was uh, absolutely my pleasure, guys. And uh, anytime, anytime. I'm, I'm always here for you. If Tom is the straw that stirs a drink, you are the wind beneath my wings, baby. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever whatever you are, you do it damn well. So, There's your pimp name. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy. I might be getting rid of the caddy soon. Man. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at a new, new car. I need something. Minivan? No, I was looking at uh, Cooper. Uh, <laughs> Can you say I can't imagine yeah, Sal, not a mini man, Cooper. a mini Cooper? Mini Cooper. Yeah. See, that like, wouldn't make a good pimp name. Mini, <laughs> mini Cooper. You, I don't think you get the street respect that a yeah. good pimp. You put a put a big old <sighs> dick a, dick on the hood. You would. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. I wanted, can you imagine the accident with that car? With a big dick on it. <laughs> I would just love to see it rearranging a whole new. Movie. Any anything with a big dick on it is, you know, special. Have you, seen, uh, have you guys seen? Uh, I think it was Idiocracy, the Mike Judge movie. With, uh, yeah, Luke Wilson's in it. You know, he's at one point he's like he rents a car or something. It's got it's got this giant purple dick in the front that he can't see around it. <laughs> 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 it's, it, it made no sense. I mean, it was there was no reason for it to be there, or, or it was not explained. It's just like <laughs> he's got this car, and it's just got this giant purple, basically vibrator on the front of the car, and he you can't uh, see that. He, that's comedy to me. Giant purple dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, it's an entertaining movie. It, uh, it's oh, interesting. It's, it's got more of that kind of goodness in it, man. <laughs> But mounting it on the front of a car is just an all that takes it to another level. Man. I I've seen David mount a giant purple dick on a car. Oh, <laughs> hey, you weren't going to degrade yourself like that anymore. You said, oh, <laughs> uh, if I just I would I wish I had a medium sized purple dick. Oh, that was uncomfortable. All right. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, Pete. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think it's the right. This isn't the right time to say we're proud members of the Comics Podcast. We network. we are proud members of the Purple Dick Podcast Network. <laughs> we're starting that one now. Thanks, founding members, Brian. Uh, what did I do? You said giant purple dick. No, I, it, excuse me. I did not say. It, it, I referenced it from a film after but, you were talking about giant dick. Yeah, had to car. put the image in, in Vince's yeah, you, head. Therefore, you said it. But the, all right, the words, the words, I'll say it again. giant purple dick, giant purple dick, giant purple dick. <laughs> yeah, close the show out with that. I'm giant not purple dick. Sleep now. I have, I have a song to end this episode that'll curl your toes. It's called "Drinking My Own Sperm." Been it, there. No, this is a, a the, story. the the chorus goes: I lift my legs and drink my own sperm. You gotta love it. Check. You do, but okay. <laughs> Where do you find this shit? That's what I want to know.
día con volver a Chile algún día Ay, 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 ay,